This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk away from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Pataudry for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round, and get fired in with our exclusive discounts. Head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pound of Foster's, a £4 for a pint of Moretti or Dark Fruits, or £5 for a pint of Fierce or a Daiquiri any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds. Reds slide the foot there. And welcome along to episode 127 of the ABC Football Podcast. I'm your host, Guy Scott. And as always, I'm joined by Gavin J. Baxter and Graham Steele. Gents, how's it going? Very well. Very well indeed. I said with Mr. Burns. Yes, right there. I'm doing the Mr. Burns fingers. <laughs> I am absolutely buzzing. Can you guess why? I can't think, Gav. Can't think. What might it be? Let's do this thing. Let's do it. In a week that saw... Duncan Ferguson make his way back to Scottish football at ICT and saw the average orc show themselves up with Nazi flags on checks notes, Armed Forces Day at Ibrox. Top work, chaps. Top Synergy. Top work. It's a pretty busy episode of the ABZ FP this week as we take a look back on our 3-1 win over the artist formerly known as Rangers at Mordor on Saturday afternoon. We'll check in with the latest news maybe 24 in the week that has just passed. We'll bring you a look at our loanies and loan watch. We'll check in with the loan team and the Quines. And then after the break, it's another double header for us to preview as the Dons welcome HJK Helsinki to Pathology on Thursday night in the Europa Conference League. We're joined by Ali Manson from the Escape to Swomate podcast to look ahead to that one. And then we'll look ahead to the Dons attempting to make it three wins on the spin in the cinch as the St. Johnston visit the home of football next Sunday. But gents, first of all, before we start, um, condolences, obviously, to the, the family, to the friends of, well, first of all, Jim Forrest, um, Dons legend who passed away earlier in the week. And then uh, the sad news that broke as well on, on Sunday morning about Frank McDougall uh, passing, Frank obviously signing for the Dons in the summer of 1984 for Sir Alex Ferguson from St Mirren for a fee of about £100,000. Went on to score 44 goals in just 69 appearances for the Dons. Still, to this day, um, probably one of the finest strike rates that we've ever had at the club before his uh, career was cruelly cut short by a troublesome back injury at the back end of the 19. 19- 85-86 season. He picked up a clean sweep of domestic trophies in his two seasons with the Dons, rightfully inducted into the 2022 AFC Hall of Fame. Fair to say he was well on course to topple Joey Harper as the club's top scorer with that sort of strike rate. Sad, sad news this morning. Yeah, I'm sure it's obviously much worse for the families, but it's pretty miserable to lose two in a week. Um, yeah, I mean, specifically with Frank, it's... Um... The stats, the numbers there don't lie. And you look back at players defining Aberdeen performance away at Tynecastle when he scored, what, a hat-trick or four goals. And you see the quality of some of those goals. He wasn't just a, a poacher by any means. He was a very all-round striker. And 
delighted that he got the chance to to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Obviously, didn't wasn't able to make it at the ceremony because of his ill health, but delighted he got that little moment at Pataudry towards the end of last season. Um, yeah, likewise, just echo thoughts and condolences to all his friends and family. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's you know I think um, we were all got well, we're all delighted he was obviously able to make it, or he was being inducted into the Hall of Fame. It was, it was really unfortunate he was unable to travel to be part of the actual ceremony that evening as he was um, undergoing treatment for, for cancer at that time. And I know Frank um, himself, because we we had been talking and, and we'd been aiming to get Frank on the show at some point. Um, I know that he himself was, you know, incredibly touched by um, the honour of being inducted in the Hall of Fame. And then also the fact that he did get that opportunity to follow up. I think it was the Livingston game, wasn't it? At the back end of last season where he did get his moment on the pitch to, to receive his, his, um, his Hall of Fame emblem block of granite whatever it is that they handed out so yeah terrible terrible news today um about frank mcdougall let me say um, condolences to frank's family and friends at this time um but moving on to happier news sevco 5080 limited trading as the rangers one aberdeen three saturday the 30th of september 2023 ibrox stadium in the cinch three changes from the starting lineup that knocked Dross County out of the Coca-Cola Cup in midweek. Connor Barron, Duke and Johnny Hayes all dropping to the bench to be replaced by Jack McKenzie. I've put Connor Barron, but that's a load of nonsense. Jack McKenzie, Leighton Clarkson and Dante Povara as the Dons returned to the same starting line that performed well in Germany. The Dons also adopting the same 5-4-1 setup as we did against Eintracht. And it, well, let's be fair, the home side with the better of the opening 10 or 15 minutes, dominating possession, but without really forcing anything in the way of a save from Kel Roos before the Dons then began to get a foothold in the game. Despite that, Roos did have to act smartly to save ahead from Dessers before the Dons then began to really get onto the ball, start making some passes and really start to impose ourselves on the game after a Clarkson free kick, free kick had to be knocked behind by Goldson. The Dons took the lead, Clarkson once again with the delivery and the Dons worked the home side's defence into a shoot with everyone heading for the near post except for Stefan Gartenman who arrived unmarked in the six-yard box to stab home his first goal for the Dons and send the travelling support into rapture. Shinny then with an effort that flew past the post before Jack McKenzie began to get in on the act, firstly putting an effort just past the post from distance and then chasing down corner goals from 40 yards before crunching into the centre half, winning a throw deep in home territory and forcing Goldson to eat some grass at the same time. Delightful stuff all around halftime. 1-0 to the good guys. Home side with two changes at the break, which included with the withdrawal of Snake version 1.0 due to injury. It's a big shame there to be replaced by Snake version 2.0. And then Snake 2 found himself in the referee's book just 10 minutes later for a crude challenge on McKenzie as the Don's left wing back broke away. Aberdeen should have been 2-0 up just a minute later. Clarkson with a wicked ball at the back post and Miofsky's header hit the post from five yards before the Macedonian striker required treatment after clattering the post himself. Graham Shinney then just stepped things right up into absolute fucking beast mode at this point, winning everything all over the park, popped up at the home side's left flank, won a corner, noised up the Aberdeen support to get them going. And Aberdeen made the set piece count once again. The ball bouncing continually to Aberdeen players as Rubicic, Jensen twice and McKenzie all had efforts at goal in quick succession before Butland's block fell to McGrath and he lashed home from 12 yards to make it two right to then sent off for a late tackle on Gartenman to just pop the icing on the cake from this first 70 minutes. As is always the way though, the Dons contriving to make things just that little bit nervy. The home side pulling a goal back through uh, Sima after Kelrus missed his attempt at a punch from a cross ball. 
Hayes and Duke on for Miofsky and Povara in our first changes before Baron replaced Clarkson shortly afterwards. And then the points were all wrapped up. It was three for the visitors shortly afterwards. Mackenzie following up on a Hayes effort that was spilled by Butland and his low drive nutmeg both Tavernier and Butland before nestling high in the net. McDonald on for a cramped up Jensen with a couple of minutes of injury time remaining. Full time, Sefco one, Aberdeen three, Gents, I think there's only one thing to play from that, just quickly here. One more time. Um, Maybe one more. That's the red shed after the Hibs game, right? (laughs) That's it, that's it. Um... There we go. On the data, uh, possession 71% to 29%. Shots 18 to 14. Shots on target 5 to 6 in favour of Aberdeen. Expected goals 2.55 to 1.62. So, chaps, it's the first time we've had to talk about this type of result on this show. <laughs> um, it's 127 episodes in. Our first win in the league at Ibrox since December 2018. The first time we've scored three at that venue since a 3-3 draw in 1997. It's only the second time we've scored three goals at Ibrox since May 1989. And to put the result into some context as well, it's a first domestic defeat at Ibrox to anyone not called Celtic since March 2020. Um, We'll get into the game in a lot more detail in a second. We also reverted to the same lineup, the same shape we had in Frankfurt. And it's fair to say that despite a kind of difficult opening 10 minutes, the game plan, the setup went absolutely exactly as Barry Robson and Steve Agnew could have hoped. I would assume so. <laughs> Without knowing the game plan. But I've got to assume the game plan was to get something out of the, out of the match. So uh, mission well and truly accomplished. Um, I mean, you look like the possession stat, obviously that's not great. But then you look at what we did with it in terms of obviously goal scores, goals scored, shots, etc. It's something we've said plenty of times before. It's all very well having the ball, but you've got to do something with it. So whilst we might not have had that much with it, we were we were pretty good with what we did. Um, so yeah, obviously had a look at what they've been up to. And I guess we've tinkered a little bit over the last couple of weeks with formations to mixed degrees of success, found something they thought would work and it worked a treat. And then obviously got to credit the players for sticking with it. Um, so really good all round. Yeah, I mean, I discussed this um, this game with, with Ali Beg on his YouTube channel and we did talk about the the likely formation we would go with and my my gut instinct was that Barry would revert back to the 5-4-1 system that we used in, in Frankfurt just because I thought it was very, very effective against a team that wanted to to keep possession of the ball. You know, Rangers, it's it's the it's been the it's been the moan of their supporters the last couple of years that you know they've very much been a team that keep possession and knock the ball around their midfield and their defence. But like Graham says, there's not really much in the way of, of penetration when they need to actually get forward. As Aberdeen fans, we had a one-year, roughly one-year case study in just how, well, one, how brutal possession football is when it's for the sake of just keeping possession and also just how ineffective it can be. So, you know, I didn't surprise me that we went into that game with the exact same game plan. The The important thing was to, like, it's not us setting it up like that way so that we can just contain and then when we get the ball we hoof it long and then just reset the shape it's all about then having to carry on a threat it's a little bit different from frankfurt perhaps because none of the goals per se come from winning the ball in, in deep in the rangers area and breaking in numbers but it's very much about getting up the field and then winning set pieces and likewise you need to make the most of the set pieces you get when you when you're playing against teams like rangers 
Indeed. Um, we surprised at the fact we went back to the same lineup because obviously Connor Barron's impressed in recent weeks and in particular in the, in the double header against Ross County. Um, we surprised that we saw Barron dropping out to allow Clarkson to come back in. I wasn't surprised that we'd put Duke out to allow Povara to come back in, but I thought Barron for Clarkson, on the face of it, seemed a bit harsh on Barron, but you can't really argue that Clarkson had an excellent game as well. I think it's harsh. And, you know, the one thing Connor Barron has shown in the, in the county game as well is that he can deliver a good set piece. But I think we were probably as much as anything looking at it and thinking if we get corners, if we get free kicks, if we do get opportunities inside the Rangers half, Leighton Clarkson's, you know, obviously our best technical player from that perspective. And he's going to deliver quality crosses that could have caused them problems all day. So I think Connor can consider himself unlucky and he'll get more opportunities, I'm sure of it, uh, in, in the games coming up. I think it's just a case of by Robson looking at what we did in Frankfurt, thinking this team, that lineup, executed that game plan to perfection. So why not use the exact same lineup again? Indeed. Um, as you say, Gav, a little bit different in terms of just the way we played, I think, compared to the Eintracht game. As you say, we were maybe focusing a little bit more in Frankfurt and try to get the ball won in, in deep positions and, and, and break quickly. I, th- I thought we still were looking to try and do that on Saturday afternoon, but we were clearly trying to make take advantage of the opportunity of set pieces. And two goals come from set pieces. And I want to kind of just talk about our threat here um, a little bit more. The first is a really well-worked corner kick. Um, if you go back and watch the clips again, everyone bar Gartenman makes the near post run. Everybody gets drawn towards it from a Sevco perspective. Clarkson's delivery is absolutely spot on. Gartenman's just left unmarked in the six-yard box to tap home, which is, from our perspective, brilliant. If you're a if you're a Sevco fan, God forbid, you'd be absolutely bailing about that. Or bealing, I think, might even be the more apt phrase uh, this weekend. The second's a little bit scrappy. Um, but the great thing about it is, and how many times have we bemoaned this in the past, that deflected shots never seem to fall to our players. But in that little brief spell, every single one of those balls fell at one of our players. Every single one of them had the intention as well of just taking a shot on. This time the ball drops to us, it falls to a red shirt, we make it count. From set pieces, I think we've got some we've, we've got some real physicality on our side now, especially with that back three. We look dangerous at set plays all of a sudden again. That back three and Dante... And and Boyamiowski as well, you know, and even Jay McGrath has a good job pinning uh, Butland down for the first goal. What I do like about it is that there's there's players moving in all different directions, just dragging the Rangers defence all over the shop for that goal. And yeah, uh, you just got to execute the ball. Perfect delivery from Clarkson and Garton makes the run. It's a good finish. And when it comes to the second one, yeah, I was just thinking like, how many times have we played Rangers and Celtic and been in that situation? And you know, they're just I, I've seen us in that area and maybe like when the first shot doesn't go away there's an instinct to retreat but the Aberdeen players you know are are brave stay, stay in the box in numbers and if it's not McGrath I think Miofsky could follow up to get the to get the uh, yeah. to get the goal in as well so very very pleasing that it just showed a, a real attacking intent from ourselves uh, yeah pretty much McGrath said really good decent number of bodies in the in the box uh, stayed up you're right rather than kind of panic, oh shit, the ball didn't come to us first time uh, and we started to retreat, and which obviously allows them to to get up the pitch. Uh, really good. Order. I think it's in the second one, there's a really good bit of skill from Jensen. Yeah. But it's on his right, he just, like in the box. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, which shows, uh, obviously, sort of ability, but confidence as well. Um, it's just really satisfying all round because it's pretty much the, uh, it's the kind of goal that we can see, doesn't it? Or have been where it's us on the receiving end of the opposition, just basically bouncing the ball around in the box, second ball, second ball, uh, and then getting a shot away. So really, really satisfying uh, to see us 
do that to them. Oh, we're we're just looking at this from an Aberdeen perspective, but it is absolute amateur hour in the Rangers defensive area. Yeah, especially but, yeah, still. <laughs> Frankly, Gavin, I couldn't give a flying oh, fuck. I'm, I'm just I'm just highlighting it. It's fucking hilarious. It is. It's very very funny. To be fair, um, going through the team, I mean, oh, there's really not a, a failure of a performance amongst them, and it's unlikely you're going to get that in a three-one victory at either side of the the, the Glasgow two. To be fair, but um. Kelrys maybe should do better with the goal. Um, maybe. But you should, I'm being very kind about yeah, it. Yeah, I don't think you wanted to use the word maybe. I think Yeah, there's, 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 there's no condition required on this one. <laughs> yeah, he should have done better with that one. Um, but, other, but other than that, he did pull off a couple of good stops earlier on in the game. Um, so, you know, it's, it's one of those. I think we were probably clutching at straws, hoping that we were going to get a foul out of that one. Because even when I saw VAR were checking it, I was like, uh, I, I'd be amazed if they decide to disallow this for that. Um but there we go. The back three, though, um, it feels like there's definitely s- something starting to come together there. I'm going to talk a little bit more detail about reposition in a minute. But Yankson and Gartman are kind of really starting to show, I think, why we track these two for as long as we have. And I think it came as a bit of a surprise to everybody. It would appear that we actually had been tracking Gartman for a number of months before he signed on deadline day. Um, they're really starting to, to come to the fore, these two, aren't they? Um. If there is anyone from Michelin listening to this podcast, I would like to just say that Gartman is absolutely fucking murder. <laughs> and you should cut your losses right now. What a woeful footballer. Okay, if they've stopped listening, that guy's a Rolls Royce. I did see a number of comments on Twitter of the uh, the Matty Pollock-esque, you know, love him while he's here. Yeah. Because chances are he might not be come the end of the season. And it's sad to be thinking that way this early on. Uh, fingers crossed there's something in the, in the pipeline that we can turn that into a, a permanent transfer because so far he's standing out it's almost I, again I saw comments like it's almost though he's too good for this level you know what I mean right. I like Jimmy Cole to it. <laughs> it's it's it, in in the sort of like way that I sort of initially thought about Madison when he's saying like because Madison like what quite often would like do things that no one else could see and so it kind of rendered him a little bit less effective than he could have been just it's a little bit different by Gartman so far it's just I mean he's just he's, he's unbelievable Absolutely, and Jensen is just proving to be more and more rock solid with every with every passing week. And from an attacking threat, if he's not on his back, he's doing silky skill inside the penalty area and coming up with assists. So, absolutely love him. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, everything Gav said looking really, really good so far. Uh, it's a long way to go, but everyone seems to be kind of complementing each other, uh, and it's actually quite good to see a little bit of skill. In there as well. I mean, obviously there's the sort of attacking element, but even just some of the passes or the fact that they're comfortable to receive the ball um, is kind of what you want to see if you want to do something a little bit more than just constantly get rid. On Garton, we just talked about him there, Gav, but Graham, he talked the talk pre-game. Just usually... An absolute big no-no in my book. That's a kiss of death, usually. Yeah, but he followed it up. Uh, I fully expected a Michael Hart-esque performance. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he followed it up with a performance which was straight at the top drawer and I was just going to say when was the last time we actually saw one of our players in a pre-match or talk themselves up and end up actually delivering that even in, even in and of itself for me is just a bit of like there's a, a real level of confidence in his own ability there now well, I think you're forgetting about Tony Stewart for the semi-final last year uh, we're going to come up to Tony Stewart later on <laughs> uh, well, yeah. So to answer your question, uh, I don't think it's ever happened before. <laughs> so, uh, I think the yeah, the record books will be scarce for <laughs> instances of that happening. Yes, indeed. Um, 
let's talk about Slobodan Rubizic because for me, I, I thought he was really starting to show in the three games that were running into this one. So that's Eintracht game and then the two Ross County games. The penalty versus county aside in the, the, the quarterfinal match midweek. I thought we were starting to see signs of the type of player that we thought we were getting. And I personally thought on Saturday, I thought he was excellent. And the, the kind of stats bear that out. And I, and I highlighted it on Twitter on after the game on Saturday. You know, he won 100% of his tackles, won 67% of his ground duels, 83% of his aerial duels. One block, six clearances, five-headed clearances, made two interceptions, made five recovery tackles. All in all, with Gartenman and Jensen alongside him, flanking him to either side, have we maybe just turned the corner with Ruby, do you think? And a performance of victory, you know, three wins on the spin, a good performance in Germany, that should hopefully, the whole squad should be feeling their confidence kind of coursing now, but that you, you feel that for Rubizic in particular, that, that could be massive. Yeah, so far up until this last four games or so, nothing's really quite gone his way. And I could see um, kind of the shoulders start to slump a little bit when we, in some games, we've obviously made a significant investment and Barry Robson uh, has a lot of belief in him because I feel like if he didn't, then Rubicic could have easily been taken out of the team and you could stick uh, Angsman all back in there. Still concerned, definitely, about the, the rashness and the fact that it feels like every game there is there's a, a major error in there. You know, the, the county penalty is pretty, pretty unfavorable, really. And it gives county a way back into the game when we should have been coasting. So um, I'm a little bit, it's, it's a very easy one to say, well, if he just stops giving away goals, then he'll be a rock solid defender. But um, definitely in the last few games, seeing more of what it is that we bought for him. And I think you're right that just in having Gartenman and Jensen, two experienced players, two good footballers as well. And then you back that up with likes of, you know, Nicky Devlin on the right side, Graham Shinney in front, um, a Johnny Hayes on the left. There's plenty of experience for him to be guiding him through games and to maybe just uh, coaching him a little bit more to be selective about his battles he wants to to take on. But yeah, um, still still a little curious about, you know, Angus Bedard and why he's not featuring as much as I thought he would be. But um, I think now, those last four games, Ruben's just starting to show us what he's all about. Yeah, still... So- a long way to go, um, but I agree. Signs that you know there's there's something there that we can work with, and maybe it's just the three of them try to find the way. Cause, you know, I don't know what you'd assume English is the common language. I don't know how good, bad, or indifferent their English is across the board. How you know how effectively can they communicate verbally on the pitch? Obviously, because you you know you know Rubizic, I know he's since twenty three, but he's the it's not like he's got years and years of experience. So there's an element of him having to be coached and helped maybe more than you than you might want. So they've got to find a way to communicate on the pitch over and above just being footballers and knowing where they should and shouldn't be. So maybe it's just taking a bit of time to they figure out what strengths and weaknesses are, when to go, you know, who's going to do all the dirty work, the heading. Um, but if that three can stay fit and get a run of games, certainly looks like there's something really good there. I agree with Gav. I thought McDonald's ace. Last season, and when we signed him, I thought he was going to be playing week in, week out, and we had um, sort of injuries around about that pre-season period. But I have to be honest, based on the last few games, I'm kind of comfortable with keeping this group together. On the topic of language, Gartenman and Jensen, as most Scandinavians are, are incredibly fluent in English. Rubizic, in his like in a signing interview, did seem to only know the word aggressive. 
I should say I'm not being critical of anyone not being able to converse in a universal language. Uh, so that's not where I was going with that. It's just whether he, uh, yeah, so maybe his understanding of it, you know, it might all take a bit of time to fall into into place. But there'll come a point where if they get to play regularly, there'll be, you know, there'll maybe be less of the verbal communication because they'll they'll just kind of know who's doing what and where people should be. And And so far, it looks like we're maybe starting to see uh, signs of that. That's the key, isn't it? It's the consistency. Yeah. Because I mean, in the early, what, couple of months, Rubicic was playing the right side of a back three. He's playing in the center, but he's playing with different partners. This, that. And now we've got a run and this is the back three. And they're only going to get better the more and more they play together. Yeah. Well, that's, that's five games on the spin that we've played with the same back three. Um, obviously, the first time now was at Hearts, where Garton, when they just come in the door and the whole team had a shocker at Tynecastle. So you can't really... I don't think too much in the back three on that one there. Um, the one thing I did like, I mean, I know Gav, you were saying about you, you feel like you still got a mistake in him. There was no mistake in him on Saturday. There was nothing in him on Saturday which caused an issue. And there was a couple of times he stepped out, won the balls, interceptions, and actually played something we've not really seen from him so far. Actually played quite incisive passing through the lines and helped get up the park quite well as well, which was also encouraging because he has always, he seemed agricultural is probably the best way to put it from a, a football perspective so that was good i saw a rice smile on your face there gavin i said there was no real mistake on saturday we you pick me up on something you thought there was an issue with uh does he not wipe out lundstrom at least to the free kick on the edge of the i think box? That, i personally think that's an okay foul to give away at the time because it actually been quite a good pass through to lundstrom from um i think it was right i think and lundstrom was kind of lining up to take a hit and somebody had to step out and deal with it and if you're going to do something it was out it was five six yards outside the box you know, it wasn't the type of thing we've seen from him other times. Maybe a little bit late to it, but it wasn't a clanger like we saw at Ross County, you know, for a penalty. It was fine. And then Tavernier ballooned the free kick over the bar, so it didn't fucking matter anyway. Um, it's a fair point, yeah. Well made. <laughs> <Can't> <laughs> um, Nicky Devlin, I've been extolling Devlin's virtues, I think, since he signed. Um, and we talked on it again, uh, I think, in the game after Ross County last week, just his energy levels. In Dingwall, he was exceptional. He's he's the one that really gets us motoring up the park for the second goal. And again, another excellent performance from him um, on Saturday, which just follows up what has been an impressive start to his time at Aberdeen. Yeah, there's something... He's not particularly flashy. Like, sometimes he flies a little bit under the radar and then you, you know, you watch back and you think, oh, that's him popping up at the other end of the pitch again and again and again. So his work rate, uh, but it's more than just getting up and down the wing, you know, he's actually contributing, whether that's from the attacking sense or, you know, I think generally speaking, his defending has been uh, has been good. So, yeah, I think we were, I guess he was a normal quantity, so the only, the only reservation would be how does he adapt to life at Aberdeen, both from the point of view of, I guess, living in Aberdeen, but there's significantly more focus and pressure uh, and more games who goes with Aberdeen, given that he'll be, obviously he's got European football, he wouldn't have had at Livingston, and theoretically it should be in cup competitions for longer. So it's, you know, it's more demanding season for him. Um, so things might change as the season progresses, but so far it just kind of looks like he's been there forever, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, when it comes to Nicky Devlin or players of his kind of ilk, um, the age that he, uh, he is, I mean, I always think that when they make the step up from a club like Livingston to Aberdeen, and this is not me being like, you know, too big-headed about what Aberdeen is, but Graham's exactly right there. Like the pressure is just very, very different. And I think you'll see players that will, when they're surrounded by better players, that'll make them a better player, or they'll stand out as far as they're not cut out for it. 
And you know, Nicky Dillon, I mean, his domestic career averaging got off to an absolute shocker when he sells the jersey and costs us the game effectively against Celtic. Um, he's a little bit like the right back version of Graham Shinney, and I just never stops. Yeah. And he is just industrious and he's a little bit nasty and he's got some street smarter than him. Also, what I like is that he's every game it feels right now, he's popping up on the opposite goalpost from where he yeah. should be diving out of the way of a of a shot coming in. So an incredible engine on him for sure. And someone who just looks like he's fully embracing what it is to be an Aberdeen player. It feels like he's been an Aberdeen player for his entire career right now, doesn't it? Like he appears to have really embraced that opportunity to step up to um a club like Aberdeen and Oh, and I mean, what a step up it is, because you look at his career history, I mean, with yeah. all the disrespect intended to like of Walsall, you know, <laughs> this is, you know, a different kettle of fish, but he's that one critical mistake aside, and he's not let that affect him. He's taken the life of Aberdeen, you know, like a duck to water. It's exactly what I, th- I said we were going to get from him. I think we, I said he's going to be a solid 7 out of 10 every week. And so far, even if it, you actually just go and have a look through all the kind of relevant, uh, relevant different... <laughs> Data says he's basically smashing in a seven out of ten every week so far. Um, so solid acquisition, I think it's fair to say. And you know, um, hindsight's also twenty twenty all the time. And I know a lot of us felt we were going to miss Ross McCrory. Ross McCrory's also had a horrendous time since he moved to Bristol City with illness, and he's not doing. He's played a game yet for Bristol City. Um, that piece of business looks pretty good all of a sudden um, to acquire. What would we get for two million, two and a bit million for McCrory? Um, Undisclosed, isn't it? Yeah, and we've taken Devlin in for nothing. That's not looking like a, a shabby piece of business at this moment in time. The midfield, we touched on earlier on, uh, maybe a little bit surprising to see Conor Bannon drop out, but I felt that Leighton Clarkson and Danny Povara more than justified their starting positions. Um, again, depending on where you look, a lot of people rated Leighton Clarkson as being man of the match at the weekend. Um, I, I wouldn't have personally put him in there, but I thought his delivery, I think this is more just due to the, the, the impact he had in our goals more than anything else. But again, um, Clarkson, and then particularly Povara, you know, I thought a lot of us felt maybe it was a little bit, um, it was a little bit unjustified to him dropping out after the Frankfurt game, uh, for the Ross County game at home last week. Um, but he came back in and showed us again, that, again, maybe there's just signs starting to, to develop with the fact that Danny Povara might be a, a key a key member of our squad going forward this season. Just needed that three-year contract in his back pocket again, didn't he? <laughs> I think Barron's unlucky, but... Based on what we saw last year, and also the amount we've invested in Clarkson, so good that I can't ever see him being out of the team for long unless he's injured. And he hadn't been necessarily playing as well as we know he can, but then the whole team wasn't really functioning particularly well. So I wasn't certainly wasn't disappointed to see him come in. You're just hoping that he comes in and has one of those games that you know he can do, uh, that you know, you know he's capable of, and kind of getting back to last season's Clarkson. And, and he certainly did that. And kind of similar to Palvara, maybe it was a bit of a surprise he got dropped. Um, it's obviously a sign that he's rated and trusted to come into a game like this. And it's good to see him having a decent game as well. I suppose there's also an element of maybe those positions are not ones you'd expect to rotate. But we do have a squad. We've got some decent players in those positions. There's a lot to be demanded from them. So maybe that's just whether it's still Robson trying to tinker and fine-tune or, or whether there's an element of, you know, it's probably quite demanding roles that they play. So maybe he just knows that we're going to need to manage them and maybe he's quite happy to mix up those pairings. I think it's just a case that he's found, you know, this system and this is the combination of players that's going to make that the most effective. And I think we're going to get more 
um, from a set piece threat and maybe just a little bit more in the way of industry from Pulvar uh, in comparison to to a Baron. And I think you know again with your when you're going to play that kind of strategy, those kind of those kind of tactics, you might just be looking at one or two chances a game, and maybe it's going to be a free kick from twenty five yards, or it's going to be a corner kick. And as I said earlier, Leighton Clarkson's the very best with an R team, one of the very best in the country. So I think that's why he came back in in place of well Baron and Duke for that matter. I've got no issue with the manager rotating players, even if they're in form, if it's going to make the system work better. Graeme Shinney, um, it's maybe taken a little bit of time for him to get going this season, but that was another excellent, excellent shift from the captain. I think that's probably the fourth in the row as well now since the Hearts game. Um, he was brilliant on Saturday, and he also manifested some top, top shit housing as well at times. There's nothing more to be said about Graeme Shinney, is there? It's just great. Just love him. I, I think the reason that, you know, he was just doing the work, trying to do the work of three men uh, earlier in the season when we were playing a style of football that just basically involved giving the ball away back to the opposition and just didn't seem like the midfield had any cohesion in it. Uh, with that strategy, especially, you saw in Frankfurt and then at Ibrox, you know, topped that all off with an absolute stunner of a goal in Dingwall. Yeah, we're getting the, the game shining that we all hoped we would when he, when he came back. Um, yeah. Once again, reiterate, I love the guy. Just what we're talking about, Graham Shinney then. Um, Ian Taylor was one of the people who dropped a voice note to us and, and his was all about Graham Shinney. So let's just see what Ian's got to say and we can kind of come back, Graham, um, to you in a second on Graham Shinney. Hi, boys. Someone yesterday, does having legs around Shinney get the very best out of him or do you think he's just being a bit smarter with how he's playing? Cheers. What do you think, Graham? Is having more legs around him helping, do you think, now? Um, although it's kind of say it's the same personnel as we had at the start of the season. Um, or do you think maybe is, this, is Shinny being a little bit more economical what he's doing? It doesn't seem that way, to be fair. Um, or is it just taking a bit of time for him to get up and running this season? I don't think anything that he does is economical. Huh. Uh, you know, everything seems to be flat out 100%. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I don't really know what it is across the team because that's three significantly improved performances in the space of a week compared to what we've been watching. Well, I suppose you could argue Frankfurt as well. Um, whether it's the legs or it, it's just everyone almost sort of fine-tuning their positions and when they go and when they don't and they know who's going to cover for them, I'm not really too sure, but whatever it is, I mean, that's a run of games now across the board where things have been much better from a results point of view, but also more enjoyable to watch as well. And it's, I just felt there's a couple of games where he's getting overrun, not because he is weak. It just felt like it was him in that midfield trying to do everything. And that's just not possible. So whether it's other guys getting up to speed and up in their game and that that helps him, I'm, I'm not really sure I can put my finger on it. While What I will say is I'm very much enjoying watching the Shaney that uh, you know that we're used to seeing. It's good to see him being able to just tear around the pitch, but um in that sort of controlled manner and not just be, you know, clattering people. Yeah, th- there was that moment I tweeted out at the time and I mentioned it during the rundown of the game as well, where I think it was probably just after right it got sent off, maybe just before that. No, in fact it must have been just before that because it was before we scored the second goal, where he just seemed like a switch went off with Shinny as well. And he was just everywhere for a period of about 15 20 minutes and i i laughed at the time and i called it beast mode but that's exactly what it seemed like he was just all over the park 
every blade of grass has been covered um, was, and and showing that experience as well, buying free kicks, buying fouls off of Rangers players. <clears throat> in Stephen McLean's ear, the, the official constantly just nipping away at him. A proper, I'm not sure I've seen a performance from an Aberdeen captain in a long time that made me just automatically think of William Miller and his pomp. But that, that was it. I mean, like Russell Anderson was a brilliant captain for us, but he was never a Willie Miller-esque captain. That was as close as I've seen, I think, on Saturday to that in a long, long time. Um, One of the things as well I quite liked, and I want to quickly touch on this before we're top of the midfield, um, because in a game like the weekend, what you expect to see from a team like Aberdeen when they've gone 5-4-1 and they're kind of going to sit in and try and make it difficult and frustrate is that there's going to be lots of fouls and we're going to try and break up play a lot and we're going to really just like lock the game down from that perspective and make it very niggly. This is one of the most impressive parts for me about our entire performance on Saturday. In the fouls committed stats, it's 18 to Sevco. It's only four to us across 90 minutes, which just shows, for me, the level of discipline that we actually put out there. Graham's almost like falling off his seat at the sheer prospect. That it shows that Stephen McLean won't be getting a gig anytime soon. <laughs> 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 but it was one of the moments I really liked when I watched the game on Saturday was that too often in games like that where we've done well for periods of time to 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 stop teams and to maybe get the home support on the team's back, etc., we then give away a stupid free kick or a stupid penalty or something happens and we concede from a set piece. We didn't even really allow Rangers very many opportunities to even do that. The weekend. That's that's a frankly incredible statistic that we've only committed since conceded four fouls across 90 minutes at Ibrox. Uh, yeah, to have possession of the ball for less than 30% of the game and only commit four fouls. So we're committing a foul every quarter of the game. That's, yeah. um, that's, that is frankly incredible, to be honest. It's, uh, it probably just shows to me that the players were completely aware of their their duty when they were out of, out of possession and it was about just retaining the shape and not necessarily going and engaging as much as as uh, we maybe would or you know committing like you say stupid fouls all over just to kind of break up the game i think we need to put a breaking news klaxon in here gav all right what's what's happening abby <laughs> football club have ended michael beale oh is he gone he's gone he's away he's done he is done. That's which is really gutting for everybody involved, I think, because oh, they're mate. fucking horrendous. And I was really hoping that they'd at least keep him till the League Cup final rolled around, to be honest with you. Is it way, is it way too obvious to drop the East Enders drums right about here? Uh, no, go for it. So the Dons once again laying wowzers to another one. Uh, oh, God, look at this. This is kind of funny. The club is pleased and it's Stephen Davis will lead the interim management team and that interim management team will also include hugely experienced the Northern Ireland midfielder or the snooker player. <laughs> I, I think the midfielder. But wait for this, Gav. Wait. The team will also consist of former Rangers player, hugely experienced coach Alex Ray, <laughs> and former Rangers player and current coach Stephen Smith. Steve Smith there. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Jeez, there oh. go. Jeez, oh. They're hoping for the Barry Robson effect. I don't think it's going to happen. Was it you that said we were going to split the old firm? I think I did. Yeah. Well, I apologise. I, I think I ripped you, but you might be on to something. I mean, to be fair, at this moment in time, it looks like St Mirren are going to. So <laughs> I think half the league's about to split them at this moment in time. So it's not that big a deal. But um, yeah, there we go. But anyway, the Dons do it again. Um, let's move on from that, because this is obviously not a fucking Rangers podcast. Um, Boyan Miofsky. Uh, I've just had a message from somebody saying that they're really gutted to me that Beals was sat because they particularly enjoyed my on-point impression of him. Well, at least someone did. 
<laughs> don't know if I have to bring it out now. I thought that, you know, we can't be losing to teams like Aberdeen at home. Uh, you know, I thought it was disgusting the way the fans turned. By the way, that's a fucking bold move, isn't it? To decide that the fans booing you at halftime is, is the reason that it all went to shit. There's a man who knows he's on his way out with that. <laughs> yeah. A bed, hopefully not a bouncing check. <laughs> a bouncy, bouncy check. A bouncy, um, bouncy check. Yeah. Here you go, Michael. Cash that in 10 years' time. <laughs> anyway, right. Let's move on. Boyan Miofsky. A bit of a thankless task. Again, for him as a lone striker. Uh, not a lot of chances for him to really influence the game. But he did well, I thought, again, in the main. Harding defenders from when he was out of possession. Holding the ball at well, which I think, Gav, is something you touched on, um, might have been after the Frankfurt game in particular, where we're just seeing that different side to Boyan Miofsky now since he's been in Scottish football for a little while. Um, he probably should have got a goal, it's, it's fair to say. Um, the one he hits the post with, he, if we're being critical, he probably should do a little bit better with that. But he has been pressured by the defender. He probably has one eye on, you know, clattering the post at the same time. Um, but here we go, Gav. I mean, I've, I've saved the two to last for you here. Um, Jamie McGrath. The birthday boy. What a way to celebrate. Did you send him a card, Gav? Of course I did. <laughs> As a Republic of Ireland International, what a way to celebrate your birthday by scoring the second goal at Ibrox. Uh, tell, you, tell you what, though, Pasquinelli did the celebration better. <laughs> um, for me, I thought he put in a really, really brilliant performance, capped off with a really with a fine goal, with a really good finish, because um, it, it does drop quite high for him. That's him now two for two in the league. Um, Gav's just got up to walk away, doesn't want to have to talk about this. But on Saturday, Graham, I saw a side to his game that I didn't think existed. He was very hardworking, closed players down out of possession. And then when he got on the ball, I thought he was sensible in possession, showed no shortage of skill and belief at times, helped us get apart, pick up balls, pick up fouls, etc. Um, yeah, Graham, Gav's, I think, doing his Jamie McGrath tally as we speak at the moment. But um, he's starting to maybe turn around a few Aberdeen fans at this moment in time, not just Gav. Like the famous black notebook. It looks like it. Oh no, he's got a little. Wow. I don't know if you can. I don't know if you can see this, but this is the scoreboard, and it okay. currently reads Jamie McGrath two, Gav zero. <laughs> well, there we go. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll keep I, that so running I'll... for the season, will we? <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. Like when we signed him, I think a lot I, of us were a bit like. Mm. I think it didn't fit with the quality and under contract, and I didn't really feel like he'd been all that exciting when he'd been Scotland. I know a lot of people disagree and a lot of people have been saying, oh, we should be signing him. Um, I was never really totally convinced. And when he did sign, I was probably in the camp of, oh, he probably won't play that often. He's not that bad to have off the bench. So, okay, fine. But um, what I have seen of him so far, yeah, I, I'm enjoying. I'm starting to, to think that maybe maybe this is all going to work out rather well. I mean, it's it's relatively early days, but, you know, you think about the performance there, there's a touch of, like, to me, there's a... He kind of reminds me a bit like Kenny McLean. When he came in, I felt like it took him a wee while to realise maybe what it was all about and that he needed to work hard as well as just having, you know, the ability. And I feel like we're starting to see that from McGrath. He's decent on the ball. Obviously, it's good to see him chipping in with some goals. That's what you need. But you also need that work rate. Now that work rate doesn't need to be flying into tackles and stuff. I think it's like you say, that's it's that disciplined getting back, being in a position, and then your opponent has two choices, try and take it on or basically pass the ball back or sideways. So I think we've, you know, 
the whole sort of pressing idea isn't flying into tackles. It's being, you know, being a unit and making it difficult for your opponent to get past you. So if he can keep the work rate going, he's got the ability. And I'm sure getting a couple of goals will do him a world of good as he finds his feet at the club. Um, and hopefully, you know, that, that'll continue because as much as we've got good forwards, you obviously need, you're going to need goals to be shared throughout the team over the course of a season. So if your midfielders can be chipping in as well, I think that'll help us. Also gives the opposition something else to think about because it looks like now that we actually do have guys running from a slightly deeper role or at least being in and around the box to support Amiofsky and or a Duke or whoever's playing. So even just having numbers up in the box makes a big difference. If you think about the last couple of seasons where so ball goes into the box, whether it's a um, Miofsky or Ramirez, well, you know, there's only ever like one guy in a box. If it doesn't fall perfectly, we're not picking anything up. Whereas at least now we've got guys in and around uh, the opposition box to to pick up second balls or be taking shots. So, really, really good performance from him, and hopefully there's many more of them to come. If only see Gav's little face. <laughs> yeah, come on, Gav, Jim McGrath, and to see how the scoreboard develops. I mean. I think if you'd asked any Dundee United fan and whenever I spoke to um, my United fan last season, they would have told you that a performance like this or a performance like the one in Frankfurt would not have been something that Jamie McGrath had in his wheelhouse. So I'm pleasantly surprised to find out that he's got that level of discipline and industry within him to do a defensive role. And then combine that with the fact that he has got two goals now. Um, the goal against County, the more I look at it, is very pleasing just because he's he's gambling and breaking the lines to support uh, his strikers and get himself on the end of an opportunity. We've not really had a, a goal-scoring midfielder as such since, uh, well, Lewis Ferguson, really. Um, and I know Leighton Clarkson chips in with his share of worldies from 30 yards out, but if you can have one that's going to be in the box to support the strikers, like Graham says, it's going to be a huge asset. I mean... I'll just repeat what I said last week. I'll be delighted if he proves me wrong. And he's on, and he's on track. He's 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 up by two. He is he's up like, by he's two. He's like he's like the European Ryder Cup golf team. <laughs> yeah, well, they were up by a lot more than two. It's fair to say, Gav. But never well, mind. They, they were up by two at one point. <laughs> yes. Friday morning. Also, also, how how soft is everyone in golf that some guy waving his cap is like causing a stramash? How, yeah. how how middle class a sport? I'm just gonna say that. Would right you now. like it if I came around to your gaff and started wearing a cap around? You'd be raging. Yeah. Apoplectic with rage, undoubtedly. I'd be, yeah, I'd be having you in the car park, no doubt about it. Fucking um, hell. Anyway, uh, Gav, you might as well chunk down some more whiskey because here we go. Finally, are, are we about to talk <laughs> about the player that I've always heralded as being a, a diamond in the Aberdeen system? <laughs> Yes, we are. Uh, I, invite big, you, I invite you to go and find any material that says otherwise. <laughs> big bad Jack McKenzie, much maligned, and, and sometimes that's been fair. Um, but this was, for me, it's probably Jack's best performance for the first team. Um, defended really well in the main, really, really grew into the game as it went on. The tackle on Goldson in the first half was almost in there now is a truly iconic Aberdeen FC moment. Uh, then there's always something really special, let's be honest, about uh, an Aberdeen fan getting themselves on the score sheet in a win at that place, topping off with a really daft forward role. Um, 
you'd like to really hope that if there's a one performance that could help someone to kick on with their career, then this would be it, wouldn't it? This was Jack McKenzie's finest hour in a red shirt so far. I think, yeah, I agree with you. He's he's had his critics, myself included, and I would stand by. I would stand by the criticism. But days like today, I think that's where I'm. I find him a little bit frustrating, and I'm kind of on the fence because he's. It's not like this is the only good game he's ever played. He's had very, very good games before, but I just don't feel like he ever has a run of seven or eight out of ten. You know, so hopefully, yeah, hopefully this is. But again, maybe just featuring in a settled unit and a team that's actually hopefully finding a bit of form collectively will help them. But excellent game. And I mean, that must be an outrageous feeling. Uh, local guy, you know, in, in the team, full stop, is probably an outrageous feeling. But to, to get the goal and everything and a really old school celebration, I'm not sure I could do that, but still, Zace. I mean, for a minute, I thought we'd stepped outside of Ibrox. We were in Arthur Ashe Stadium. I thought it was Ray Phoenix versus John Moxley with a forward roll as he dropped on his head. That, that, is, that is a guy that's not done a forward roll since primary school. Indeed. Um, uh, hey, what can I say? An outstanding performance, the, the tackle on Goldson alone and then the goal itself. And, you know, he's the one that hits the shot yeah. in that Butlin saves that then leads to McGrath getting the ball in the net. Like I say, then everyone, if you're going to win a game Ibrox, everyone has to have you know, one of the best games of the season in all likelihood. And this is kind of one of the things with McKenzie that, like Graham, will frustrate me because you know that he's got this in his locker. He's got that full-blooded, you know, desire to to win for Aberdeen that you see in the tackle on Goldson. But then you'll go back to Frankfurt and you'll see like a really half-hearted challenge. And it's just, it's finding that consistency that's been so frustrating with McKenzie. And when you top it off with the fact that he's, he's older than I think a lot of people realize in that yeah, he's 24. Um, I think people still think that he's like the same age as the likes of Ramsey or or Duncan. He is um he's got much more uh in the way of not necessarily experience, but he's you know, he's an older player. So you'd expect more at this point. Hopefully, this can be, you know, the catalyst for him going on a really good run and you know, making that left wing back slot his own. And likewise, I'll be delighted to be proved wrong because it'll solve a problem. No, namely because McGarry's gonna be out for some sustainable McGarry's gonna be out for, you know, a sustained amount of time. I don't think anyone's necessarily want to see Johnny Hayes playing left wing back week in, week out. So it'll solve a number of problems and, you know, it'll be great if an Aberdeen fan is starter week in, week out, excelling in the team. It'd be great if as well, if like maybe somebody like Nicky Devlin's going to take him under his wing a little bit and, and kind of try to get that consistent 7 out of 10 type performance out of him. And if you had two wing backs performing in that way, because it's, you know, we've just touched on it. Devlin gets up and down that line really well. Mackenzie's got a good engine on him and, and he's always has done in fairness. It's just been seeing a little bit more of that consistently from him. And you saw it at the weekend. That's, you know, as you say, Gab, quite rightly, he's the one who arrives at the edge of the box to fire in the shot that Button spills to go to McGrath. He's then following up a Hayes effort. You know, when realistically you're like, what is he doing up there? Um, yeah, like fingers crossed for, for everybody concerned that that <clears throat> can hope and, and more for every, more for anyone else, for Jack McKenzie, that he can now kick on and use that performance as a real launching pad um, so that we can all watch Jack McKenzie putting on a show uh, for the next foreseeable future at Aberdeen Football Club. Gav's just trying to go back into his recesses of his mind there for that song. Um, <clears throat> let's talk about the manager really quickly because off the back of the Hearts game, we questioned, I think, whether Barry was capable of turning things around because we were in a really bad, bad place after the Hearts game. And it wasn't just results, it was the performances as well, which were the biggest bugbear, I think, for most people. 
we are now three wins out of our last four. We're into the League Cup semi-finals. We put in a commendable effort in Germany as well. Off that run, he has now at the very least bought himself much more time than he did coming out of the Tynecastle game, it's fair to say. And it does look as though the squad is now starting to gel. There seems like a really good kind of team spirit amongst that squad. Building as well. It maybe feels a little bit too premature to say it. It's, it's only been four games, but is this team now starting to head in the right direction? I think for me, it wasn't so much the results that we were the cause of concern. It was the style of football and how well did he appear to he appeared to be to playing you know one way, regardless of whether it was effective or not. And we were all sat there in the stands watching on TV or whatever and just thinking like, what are we doing? Why are we not using the players we have to their to their greatest efficacy? And after Hearts and after Hibs, I was just um very much found it hard to believe that we were going to do anything different. The good thing is that Barry went ahead, came up with a system to play Frankfurt, and we put in you know, a great shift. Still concerned, of course, that you're conceding a couple of soft goals, and that's you know continued even with County and even with Rangers that we're still conceding soft goals. But it's just the turnaround seems to be you know pretty pretty incredible, and I think part of that is going to come down to consistency and selection. Seeing that back three, just for example, that we were talking about, they're going to get better and better the more they play. And it just feels more like the players understand their role in, within the team. Uh, I think Frankfurt will have given us you know, huge courage. And then you know, the Ross County games, I think we're kind of fortunate in a sense that we got Ross County at that time because they look all sorts of dross, even for a Dross County. But it seemed like just really instill a lot of belief in us. And then to go ahead and put in that kind of performance, get the result. And that all comes from you know, changing the shape once more, finding the players that are the best to play in that in that setup rather than playing, you know, a Duke at wide, at the wide left or sticking with Connor Barron, even though Connor Barron's been excellent as of late, I think shows an adaptability within Robson that we maybe didn't think was there. So for him as a manager, for him as a staff, and then just for the players themselves to go ahead and get that kind of result and get our season right back on track, it's just a remarkable turnaround. And I'm very, very happy about it. Yeah, I mean, we're not... <clears throat> We're not out of the woods yet. Uh, got a cup semi-final to look forward to. Our league position is still nowhere near good enough. So there's a lot of work to be done. But clearly, that uh, that run of games, you know, steadies the ship. And I think more importantly, sort of gives everyone cause for optimism. That you know, looking around, I think most people certainly, I'm of the opinion, there's a good team there. We have good. With good players, surely we can get a tune out of them. And they just, aside from the fact that the results have picked up, you know, the the style, everyone will have a view on what's what they want to see. But from my point of view, the style has settled down to actually recognising that we've got some good footballers that's actually try and play some football. And then lo and behold, that's when the results start to change. So hopefully this is, and maybe a bit, it's easy you know, sitting here on my arse saying, oh, how hard is it to integrate <laughs> a bunch of yeah. new players from different leagues and styles? I, I genuinely don't know. I've never you know, I've never had to do it. I've never been a part of a team that's had to go through that. So maybe maybe there's more to it than than I would have thought. And now things are starting to settle down as players get familiar with the surroundings. And as Gav says, as we maybe start to 
find pairings or combinations that work within the team, you know, the defence being the best example. And then slowly but surely it all starts to come together. So maybe it is just as difficult as because it's difficult when the manager's telling you, oh, we've got 30 new players. You think, well, it's your fault. And obviously you're going to use that as an excuse, but maybe that genuinely is a difficult thing uh, to get working. So, so far, so good. And long may it continue. Um, I think we've all been crying out to see some sort of return for because I think we've all said before, it feels like the that preseason optimism, you know, it's probably the highest I can recall for quite some time. And then we've sold a lot of tickets, sold a lot of merchandise, spent a lot of money. It was quite an exciting time. I was really looking forward to the start of the season, uh, and it didn't really get going. And the danger was that it all just disappeared and it all turned quite negative, which would be justifiable when you think of some of the results and the performances. So hopefully we can start to turn it around and maybe just capitalise on hopefully what is some remaining pre-season optimism. And then, you know, we've, we kind of get what we thought we were going to get at the start of the season and can really start get going in the league, actually, because the next couple of fixtures are a pretty good opportunity to, to really push up the table. Just on an aside, just thinking back to the news that broke out of Glasgow this after, this evening, do you think now's the time for Derek McInnes to take the Rangers job? If he wants, I don't care. <laughs> they would find much worse options. <laughs> I don't yeah, believe that like Rangers... Davey Martindale. <laughs> I, uh, I don't believe Rangers fans would particularly be fond of Rangers going for the Kilmarnock manager, so I think they'll probably go abroad. Anyway, um, that's enough about I that. I want Let- to use something about concomitant, or is that it? But I can't remember how to use it in a sentence. Concomitant. With are you suggesting concomitant. they're going to? Are you suggesting they're going to go for Tony Doherty? <laughs> oh well, you know, maybe Tony Doherty with Derek McInnes is number two. Oh, the old role <laughs> reversal. See how that works. <laughs> be interesting. Curveball. Anyway, let's um, let's stop talking about them for too much because it's hilarious that we've just left them in the absolute fucking mud once again. But um, Kevin Morrison also drops his voice note talking about the performance yesterday. Um, let's just see what Kev had to say. What a result yesterday! It's just brilliant to beat them down there um, especially the way we did it it was a well thought out plan from start to finish frustrate annoy and then when we get the opportunity to put the pressure on in their third um, go and make the most of it so just brilliant to watch and I think we have to give um, our club a lot of credit for A going out there and, and doing a lot of business this summer and B for, for Robson who has been saying for the last few weeks, you know, just wait until we settle and wait until the boys find their feet and play together and then see what we're capable of. And hopefully yesterday is a sign of, of things to come. Um, just really delighted uh, watching, you know, the the back three, the way they played together and, and helping each other through the game. And then Devlin's up and down that line like a, a crazy man. It's It's just so good to see. Um, and then we have quality in the middle of the park and to be able to bring off players and bring on the likes of Baron late on in the game. And it's just great. Just all round great. <laughs> Absolutely, Kev. I love, I love you just ends it with just all round great. And it was. It was fucking brilliant. I guess two things out of that, I suppose. The club maybe deserve an element of credit so far for the business that's been done in the summer. I think this, yeah, I'm kind of 50 50 about this still. I think there's a lot of question marks about some of the signings. It's fair deserve to say. an element of skepticism over some of the other ones. Indeed. But I think some of the signings, though, that we're now starting to see, the ones that are predominantly playing, I think we're starting to see some, some good stuff out of them. I think the ones who have been brought in 
to be playing week in, week out are starting yeah. to show that they've got a fair amount about, about them. And I think one thing I was just thinking about when Kev, Kev was talking there was that, you know, so often, and I think we saw this from maybe some fans and maybe some sections of media, when things in Scottish football, when when you do what we do, as in like go way out with the Scottish market or the British market, quite often people will start saying things like, you know, we haven't got enough of a core of, you know, players that understand the league and and such like. And I did see comments like that when things were going absolutely tits up uh beginning of september um late august i think one thing that i take from a game like uh rangers ibrox is that when you're looking at the likes of jensen and garman and rubazic and leighton clarkson and you know graham shinney is a bit of an anomaly in the sense but then even boyan miofsky duke pulvara i don't get the sense that there's these are players that understand that well you're meant to lose ibrox so just accept your fate I didn't get that. I got a real sense these players went out there with a desire and a belief that they can go ahead and get that result. And I think that is one of the the greatest strengths, one of the most elements of our recruitment strategy that has the most merit is just bringing in these players who, you know, you think back to that interview we did with Caddy Arneson about how deferential Aberdeen were to, to the old firm when he was here and how he just couldn't understand it. I feel like we're getting away from that mentality. And I think by Robson, just the kind of character he was as a player is the exact same. So in that regard, I have to give the recruitment strategy all the credit in the world. Still some iffy ones out there. Do you want to know where I saw Habib Gave today? Was he still running down Union Street? Was he cycling down Union Street with that helmet on? Nope. What was he doing? Costco? Uh, He and Shaden were pitching up looking for a parking spot in Union Square. There we go. Lovely stuff. Um, uh, It's just... It was it was just all around fucking great, wasn't it, on Saturday? It's just these moments don't come around too often for us. I mean, our, we, we touched it in the the preview for episode 126. Our record at Ibrox, <clears throat> historically, is, is terrible, um, it's fair to say. I think we'd only won 27, 28 times in our entire history there ahead of the weekend. These results don't come around that often, but again, it's the type of performance, the type of victory that you'd like to think just gives the squad, the manager, everyone, just that massive lift of belief now that we can go on now and maybe make this a rather memorable season after you know what had been a, a start to the campaign that left us all feeling a little bit deflated, Graham. Uh, definitely. I mean, the, the results against Ross County are results that we should be getting. Anytime you play them, you should be beating them, you look at the gulf and the resources, etc. Uh, so yes, we needed those results, but arguably that's just, you know, that, that's just taking care of business. There's not really anything to celebrate in that. You know, it's like that's what you should be doing. Going down there and getting a result that we've seen before, if you think about past teams we've had that were significantly better form we've been in, form they've been in, it usually doesn't make a jot of difference. We usually lose. So to go down there and get the result, uh, I think is a good statement that there's a there's a good team there. And I think what we have seen is, although performances and results haven't been to our liking, it does look like there's a team there, you know, not seeing anything on the pitch that makes me think, you know, something's not quite right. It didn't look like guys weren't, bothered or not playing for the jersey just wasn't happening so hopefully um this is a real yeah a, a real uh, springboard for the season and just to a couple of points that you were you were saying you know on the signings I'm not prepared to write anyone off at this stage and what I would say is some of them 
inevitable. That's not what you've said in the chat. <laughs> I'm not publicly oh, prepared to write any of them off. It's, at this it's point gone. In time. It's gone all Lawrence Fox Dan Wooten here. <laughs> Which one of us is getting sacked? <laughs> Both of you. <laughs> You'd be fucked without us. We'll just form a rival spin-off. <laughs> yeah, uh, what I was going to say is find me a club that gets it right 100 percent of the time, even if you got a yeah. bottomless pit of money. Uh, so yes, some of them will turn out to be expensive mistakes. But hopefully there are enough decent ones in there that, that it works. And actually, the point around uh, the point around um, you know the lack of Scottish British players, whatever you want to call it, it did occur to me as we were going through the review of the game that actually that's not a bad having guys that don't know what it's all about. I don't mean they don't know the rivalry or the importance of the game, but don't know that generally you don't get anything and don't have maybe the same fear. I think it's actually a positive. I, I was trying to think who we spoke to. God, I feel like it was maybe Lee Richardson. He felt some of the sort of Scottish guys almost had like a an inbuilt subconscious, I don't know what it was, like not deference, but yeah, it was like that weakness or just that, you know, they, they grow up knowing yeah. that Rangers and Celtic batter everyone and you then get to play and you go there and you know that more often than not, you're going to lose. And it's, it's just there in the back of your mind. The game's These lost guys before you take to the field. Yeah, 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 I think that's what he was saying. He felt, and I don't think he was being critical. He just, because he didn't have that, obviously, not growing up in and around Scottish football. So he's like, well, it's just a game, isn't it? You just go and play the way you normally do uh, and see what happens. And I think actually maybe having half your team or more that have that attitude of, okay, yeah, they've got bigger resources, but we're a good team. We'll just go and play our game, won't we? It might actually help us. Yeah, it might. And you know, Carrie Arneson spoke about this when we interviewed him as well about you know that idea about this idea about wearing suits to Ibrox and all that type of bollocks and how you just instantly, almost before you even step foot off the bus, you you feel like you're one goal behind already because you're just showing this deference to this mob. And it's like fuck that. Like it's a game of football. It's eleven v eleven, and ultimately, you know, we went into well, the game at the weekend. Sometimes twelve v eleven. <laughs> sometimes it is. On that, actually, I can't believe I'm about to say this. I actually thought Stephen McQueen had a fucking good game by the weekend. Um, and I cannot believe him saying that, but he did. There's a couple in there, like the McKenzie one. I am staggered. Cards coming out. I mean, I'm not, I'm not for a moment saying that there should be. I'm just saying you can see cards coming out for that, not just down there, but in general. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, come on. And then nothing happens. Like, yes, yeah, that's what helps. I was staggered that there was not a VAR referee frantically flicking through the rule book saying, Excessive force, excessive force, excessive force. <laughs> yeah, we can use that. Fuck him. Get him off. Yeah, I found it handwritten in my copy. It's all about board. Red card. Oh. It was a bit like when they were trying to find an offside for the McKenzie goal. It's like, how many times do they have to check this just desperately see if they can try and call somebody offside at some point? Anyway, after all of that, the Dons are now up to seventh in the table. We're leveling points with Hibs. We're just four points off third now, um, who, of course, <laughs> currently are Sevco at this moment in time. Um just one more time, because I think it's really fucking funny that Mick Beale decided to be as arrogant as he was to suggest yesterday that the Rangers shouldn't be getting beat by a team like Aberdeen, um, that we've got him the fucking sack. So get it right fucking up you, Mick. Um, you absolute fucking turd. Although it would be great if you were still here because you're a fucking terrible football manager, but never mind. Well, I for a player, though. <laughs> yeah, quite. Oh, what, was it, not, what, what was it? Someone I think on Radio Clyde remarked uh, they've spent three point five million on the Nigerian Kevin Kyle. <laughs> they have signed some absolute fucking 
dross, it's fair to say, in the summer. So good luck to Alex Ray, try to do much with that. Um, let's finish up on the performance on Saturday. Great stuff. Topped on, gents, for you. You could pick any one of the players that were outfield. Notice how selective I've been there. Kelly, you're not getting a nomination here. Um, I just, I think, I just think back to what we thought probably in January. It, it took, when we, we lost Graham Shinney and it took re-signing Graham Shinney to replace Graham Shinney. Just what a guy. Uh, it drove so, us all so the way. Jim McGrath. <laughs> drove us all the way to the victory. It's going to be Shinney Esther. Graham. Yeah, for trolling purposes, I want to say McGrath, Mackenzie, but I'm not sure I could really look past um, Shinney, to be honest, to, to do what he he did in the game of that magnitude because it's all very well um, you know, almost being that sort of flat track bully but to go and do it when it you know in a game of that magnitude um, is pretty impressive I'm going to give it to Jack McKenzie like the tackle the performance the bump being... that we looked at her place in the croquian hall <laughs> indeed indeed <laughs> the celebration <laughs> yeah one of us scoring the third to seal the points the little cheeky run past the broom loan Yes, yes. A wee roly-poly, <laughs> harking back images of Strachan and Cooper doing it. It's got to be big Jack McKenzie. So it's Jack McKenzie for me. This week in Top Dawn, if nothing else, just to add that to the list that Gav's just fucking hating right now. He's just got great teeth. 127 episodes, guys. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've won a game in Glasgow. <laughs> we have, indeed. Let's move on. Other news... For maybe 24 this week, not much really, other than the fact also we're drawn against Hibs in the Skull Cup semi-final. There, that game will be played at Hamden on Saturday, the 4th of November, 5.15 kickoff. Tickets on sale uh, Monday, the 9th of October. We didn't really talk about the Ross County quarterfinal at all because it just felt such an odd time in the week for us and we couldn't be arsed coming around to do it. But we're through. From the available teams, it's probably much of a muchness about who we could have drawn, to be fair, at this stage. Um, 5.15 kickoff Saturday, that's all right, I think. Any thoughts at all about the League Cup semi-final? I mean, obviously, just delighted to be in the draw, um, get through the game with County. Um, I think, like Graham said, it shouldn't have been much more of a difficult proposition than what we had at Petrodry because, you know, that's that's the way Ross County play. And by all accounts, we dealt with it pretty well. Uh, unfortunate that we had to play a little bit tighter at the end than it should have been. And again, that's, you know, the Rubicic rashness kicking in. But I mean, an absolute worldie from Graham Shinney. Uh, really good counter-attacking goal from Esther Sokler. Good to see him off the mark. But uh, yeah, the most important thing is just getting your name in the in the hat. And it's Hibs. It's Hibs. Uh, I'm not. I wasn't fussed about who we got in the in the semi-final. So let's just hope we can go and uh, absolutely fucking batter them. Can I just quickly say I've just seen somebody just <laughs> somebody on Twitter. I don't know who you are, but just said what Alex Ray knows about football. You could write on a budgie's hard on with a felt tip pen in capital letters. <laughs> <laughs> on a budgie's hard on yeah uh, that is know. that is some uh, that is some wordplay right there some imagery indeed it is anyway will we move on uh, from budgie's hard on I don't know how we can <laughs> how do you move on from that I don't know let's try our best um, for the Quines after uh, international break it was a turn to action for Clint Lancaster's side on Sunday afternoon in the Sky Sports Cup a trip to Edinburgh to face Hibs um, the side without what was probably the star signing in the summer, uh, the loan signing of Faye Kirby for the rest of the season after she suffered an ACL during our last visit to Faye Hibs. And then that was followed up tonight with the news that Laura Holden, who um, appears to have suffered the curse of the ABZ football podcast, uh, our sponsor player for the season, 
who's also ruptured her ACL over the course of the last uh, few days. So she's going to be out as well now for probably a, a lengthy period of time. That's a, that's a big blow for the team. That's two signings that were made in the summer um, that are now going to be missing for for a large portion of the of the campaign going forward. Almost bigger within just the women's game. The ACL injury is just popping up right, left, right and centre. It's really strange the way that's uh, all coming up. I saw it on BBC website a report into just how how um much that's affecting a lot of uh, women down south especially and then obviously Aberdeen have suffered it as well um you know Faye Kirby and England someone who's representing England at various levels um and the international level seemed like a real coup um I think I compared it to to us signing Danny Ward back in the day and much like Danny unfortunately that spell has been cut very very short so huge blow Likewise, Laura Holden's obviously been a player that Lancaster identified and brought in, made a key part of the player, made a key part of the team, sorry. So, yeah, bitterly, bitterly disappointing news to, to find that we've lost two, yeah, two very good players by all accounts. On to the game itself then this afternoon at uh, Meadowbank. 6-2 defeat it ended for the Quines. Ailey Shore, Bailey Hutchison, uh, Maddie Finney all starting on the bench after they'd returned from Scotland duty, which meant that Amy Black uh, started. Darcy Miller uh, for the first time starting as well, with Ava Thompson coming into the starting line for what was her 100th Aberdeen appearance as well. And uh, a difficult tie, it's fair to say, down at Hebs. Um, the side falling behind kind of early doors through a goal through Bowcombe. But then Darcy Miller with a brace just before halftime brought it back to 2-1. And unfortunately, the Dons just couldn't quite keep it with the one goal advantage going into halftime. Poppy lost him with a goal to meant that they went in at halftime by uh, two goals each. But it's fair to say that Hibbs kind of went through the gears in that second half with goals through Ferguson, Bowcombe, Hunter, and then Lawson in stoppage time, making it 6-2, which meant that the Dons do fall out of what is the equivalent of the League Cup for the women's team. Next up for the Quines is a trip away to Dungeon United on the 8th of October. And then on to the young team. Top of the table clash for them at Cormac Park on Friday afternoon. And they kept up their strong start to the cast under 18 season. A 3-1 win over Hibs as well. It's all Hibs this week. At a win swept Kingsford, Mackey, Hamilton, Finley Marsh with the goals as the Dons went back to the top of the table. And on to Lone Watch, Kieran Aguena, he played the full 90 minutes at right back as Park Thistle beat Dunfermline Athletic by three goals to nil in the championship at Hill, Evan Tyler, no place again in the squad for him, as Montrose were beaten by three goals to Falkirk in League One. Alfie Babbage, he started, got an assist, played until the 70th minute as Kelty Hearts beat Queen of the South by three goals to one in New Central Park in League One. Aaron Reid, he came off the bench for Peterhead just after hour mark as the Blue Toon routed Elgin City by six goals to nil in League Two. Liam Harvey and Blair McKenzie, both of them, Started both of them played the full 90 minutes for Elgin in the aforementioned 6 0 drubbing at the Balmour. Dylan Lobbin and Adam Emsley for Martin United. They started both of them started as former were beaten by four goals to two by visitors Tura in the Highland League, which also saw a start and another 90 minutes for Finlay Murray for the visitors in that one. Kevin Hanrati, he joined Bucky Thistle on a three-month loan on Friday afternoon. He started on the bench as Bucky thrashed Nairn County by six goals to nil in the Highland League. Jaden Richardson at Stockport County, he came off the bench with 17 minutes remaining as Stockport beat Atkington Stanley by three goals to one in League Two. And then Anthony Stewart at the Milton Keynes Dons started, hooked at halftime as the MK Dons were beaten by a goal to nil by Harrogate Town in League Two. And all I can say is, 
check out Twitter for this own goal at MK Dons just to see a prime example of what Anthony Stewart was doing at Pataudry last season, getting caught in a 50-50 header, nowhere fucking near it. And the own goal itself is absolutely spectacular as the goalkeeper smashes it off of his own player about 25 yards out and the ball just trundles home. Lovely stuff all around, isn't it, chaps? It looks like it's in slow motion. <laughs> like when I watched the clip, it was all somewhere slowed just it down. Anthony Stewart no, running, isn't it? Just, but they just give up. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't. He just gives up his like teammates at trundles, but I, I don't just laughable all around. Absolutely laughable. I don't mind those people out there that say that I sure it's a good defender. Well, hmm. anyway, what do us on that yes. note? On that bombshell. On that bombshell. Assured. Let's uh, join us after break. We will preview our Conference League clash with HJK Helsinki and then next Sunday's clash with St. Johnston in the Cinch. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. And Siberia Bar and Hotel are pleased to announce their latest venture, Doe Co. Brand new, freshly baked, handmade donuts coming to you from Belmont Street, Aberdeen to the grand opening on Friday the 1st of September 2023. Make sure to check them out. Welcome back to the ABZFP. Before we move on to preview the clash with HJK Helsinki and St. Johnston this week, just a quick shout out to those of you who continue to make your contributions to the Beer and Coffee Fund. Thank you all to Richard McClure this week. Pass our regards on to Troy. <laughs> yep, we see you, Richard. We acknowledge you. Your bread is appreciated. If you'd like to help keep us fueled in beers or coffees, Head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash abz football podcast. The link is in the description. Share us that beer or coffee is much appreciated. <laughs> HJK, a first home game in European competition proper since 2008 on Thursday night, sees HJK Helsinki travel to Pataudry for an 8 pm kickoff in the Europa Conference League. First things first, because um, alongside our good pals at Siberia Bar and Hotel, we're co hosting a fan zone ahead of the game on Thursday, kicking off about 4 30. In the afternoon, we've got guest DJs from Just Beth and Home Alone there who are going to be spinning the tunes, as the kids would say, until around 7.15. It's free entry to Siberia on Belmont Street. Come along, grab yourself some cheap drinks with the ABZ pod discount code. Let's just keep this good feeling going that's been building over the last few weeks. If we can, I don't think we can quite replicate Romerberg Square, Graham, in Siberia. I think that's quite difficult, but we'll try our best. We will try our best. So someone bring a bar. <laughs> We could just blow it around some area downstairs. Maybe in the interest of maybe don't bring a ball. Um Ooh. hopefully the weather be good. You can get some you can chill out in the, the terrace outside. All good stuff. Get yourself along, like I say, free entry, some DJ spinning the tunes, and I might even slip Beth like a tenor to just get the Jeff's music corner playlist up and running. Uh HK travels to Pataudry with both sides looking for their first points in this season's Conference League. HK were of course beaten 3-2 at home by POK in match day one. And despite our long and storied history in European football, Thursday will be only the second time that we faced Finnish opposition uh, in the last time round. It was Rops Rovaniemi in the 2019 Europa League qualifying round one. That's like I say, the only other side from Finland that we faced. 
to date the dawn's eventually progressing 4-2 on aggregate on that one asia k unquestionably the biggest and most successful side in finnish football they're closing in on their fourth finnish title in a row they couldn't actually win it. They, they could have won it, sorry. This evening, uh, they were waiting on a result between Coops and uh, RPS. That finished a 1-1 draw, which means ACK are now six points clear with two games remaining. They have an eight-goal advantage on the goal difference from Coops, but they play each other on the last game of the season. So you just never quite know, but they are probably closing in on that. Uh, five of the last six titles have gone to ACK, and then when they do eventually wrap this one up, that will be their 33rd league title in Total, and there are now a side who are kind of well versed in European competitions and the group stages of them. Indeed, this will be the third season in a row where HJK have made the group stages of European competition 2021 2022. Saw them finish third in Group A of the newly formed Commerce League, and then last season they did make it into the group stages of the Europa League into Group C, which featured AS Roma, Ludogrets, and Real Betis. So, fair to say, um, not quite the draw you'd probably be hoping for if you're looking to try and progress. Um, found their way into the Conference League this season after being knocked out of the Champions League qualifiers by Molda at second qualifying round stage. They then fell to former Aberdeen opponents Carabag in the Europa League. Third qualifying round stage, eventually beating Farul of Romania, three goals to two in the Conference League playoff round, a 2-0 win in Helsinki. The crucial one there after they were beating 2-1 in Romania. Yes, Gav? I mean, that's fucking nonsense, isn't it? They've been pumped out of two competitions, they get to take, play, take part in a third one. It is a bit... Like- I feel guilty about the fact that we're in the Conference League. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. You know, in some respect, like, I imagine like when... I like to think this is how everyone feels like when we got pumped up by heck and like, oh, so we've just lost our way into another competition. Well, what do you yeah. fucking do? I mean, it's, it's fine now. <clears throat> I'm past that now. But, uh, I mean, come on. Getting beat by two teams and you get to still be in Europe. Fucking nonsense. Of course, this is the last time, this is the last season this happens. It doesn't... Next season... They, you don't drop into tournaments after you get knocked out of them. So that is perhaps one thing that UEFA finally decided to get right. Although, as you say, Gav, we are kind of, you know, let's not get too childish about it. We are beneficiaries of it this season. So let's just fucking go Oh, we it. absolutely are. But yeah, it's... it's yay, yay UEFA and yay Michel Platini. Good guy. Top Never guy. take a bribe. Never, <laughs> allegedly. Um... An interesting footnote, though, HJK have failed to win an away game in Europe since they beat Maribor in qualifying three for the Europa League last season. Since then, it's been two draws and six defeats on the road. They have been pretty free scoring in the league, 44 goals scored in 24 games, an average of 1.88 goals per game so far. Defensively, pretty tight as well, 21 goals conceded in 24 games, an average of less than one per game. That's the second best defensive record in the finished top flight. It's Coops, who do have a better record than there. From what I can see... <clears throat> from what I can make out, and it's kind of relatively limited on the information data that I can see. It looks as though they've kind of favoured a 3-4-3 sort of system in the main. This season, uh, Bojan Radlovic, who's a Serbian striker, he plays as their number nine. He's probably the player to look out for most. He's got 33 goals in 72 games since he joined HJK in February 2022. 17 and 19 games this season in the league. Two goals from seven games in Europe this season. He did score the second goal against POK as well. It's be interesting to watch Radulovic versus Rubicic in the Battle of the Serbs um, at, that sounds a bit wrong, the Battle of the Serbs at Petondri on Thursday evening. And interestingly, a couple of the HGK players who are in their squad have faced Aberdeen before. Lucas Lingman, he was part of that Rops Rovinemi side that were edged out over the two legs in 2019. And then defender Yuna Tovio was part of the Hecken side that were thrashed 5-1 at Petondri at the start of the 2021-2022 season. So that's kind of what we know roughly about HGK. I mean, 
as always, we look to bring you the kind of opposing vans view of our opponents. This time we caught up with Ali Manson from the Escape to Swimmy podcast. He's based in Finland, an HJK fan, to get his thoughts on HJK and just what we can expect on Thursday evening. Ali, welcome along to the ABZ football podcast. How's it going, mate? Yeah, really well. Uh, it's great to be here. So uh, yeah, lovely to uh, lovely to meet you. Likewise, um, we're just we're saying before we hit record, thanks for taking the time to join us to preview Thursday evening's Europa Conference League group stage tie between HJK and Aberdeen at the home of football. And we kind of said before we started, um, we're going to focus very much squarely on the, the game in, in Scotland um, right here and right now. We'll hopefully get together again prior to the return fixture in, in Finland, where we can hopefully talk a little bit more to, to people as well about things to do and, and all that kind of good stuff um, prior to that fixture. So, I mean, we're recording this just over a week out from the game. HJK. Uh, play against uh, FC Honka, I think, tomorrow night. Uh, but HJK are closing in on what will be a fourth Finnish title in a row. Indeed, five of the last six titles have gone to HJK. It looks odds on now that they'll win it, especially after the, the results of the weekend, I think. Yeah, it, it really does. And it's funny, Hoyako are slow starters, notoriously, which sort of gets all of Finland quite excited. I mean, like, oh, it's going to be, uh, it might be a different winner this year. But um as soon as the European games kind of kick in sort of early, mid-July, they, they just step it up, which I guess, I guess is kind of kind of natural, really. Sort of, you, you have to raise your game. Um, I mean, the, the money for Finnish clubs to get involved in Europe is just such a game changer. I mean, Hoyakor have their, their whole yearly budget when they, if they get into whether the Europa League or Europa Conference League. So, yeah, it does look, it does look good, particularly after the weekend. I mean, Ashikor are, a, a good team, but they they've had a bad sort of month or or six weeks. So we played them played them at a good time and and yeah, a bit of a I, I'd, I'd I'd call it a derby against Honka there just just from down the road and yeah, nearly there. Aberdeen have faced Finnish opposition uh, in Europe only once before, which is quite remarkable actually, given Aberdeen's long storied history in Europe. That came in 2019 against uh, Rops Rovaniemi, who were beaten 4 2 in aggregate in the Europa League first qualifying round. Aberdeen fans getting to enjoy a trip to Lapland uh, as a result of that one as well. And Aberdeen, of course, have got a bit of a history as well of having Finnish players most notable, probably uh, Mixu Pat Leinen alongside his sons, uh, latterly, friend of the show, Marcus Heikinen, and then, of course, uh, now central defender Richard Jensen, who, of course, started his career at the HJK before moving to Holland um, and we just touched on it there you know HJK find themselves in the Conference League this season after being knocked out of the Champions League qualifiers by Moda in second qualifying round and then falling to former Aberdeen foes Carabag as well and then the Europa League third qualifying round before coming through the playoff round for the Conference League against Steph Arul of Romania and this, this season marks the third campaign in a row now where uh, HGK have, have made the group stages of European competition. 2021-22 uh, saw them finish third in Group A of what was now then the newly minted Conference League before then last season coming uh, bottom of Group C in the Europa League. But that was, of course, a, a group that featured AS Roma, Ludogorets and uh, Real Betis. So um, <laughs> it's, it's fair to say that HGK probably coming into this European campaign now is what you could probably call seasoned veterans at this sort of level. Yeah, and... You know, I think playing, you know, particularly last year when we played Roma and Betis in particular, you know, you, you could be forgiven before the game to think this could be a, a four or five nil hammering. But I mean, I, I was at the the Roma and the Luda Goretz game, got a point against Luda Goretz, which really deserved. And then, I mean, yeah, Roma did dominate against Hoyakor, but it, when it was at 2-1, 
Hoyakor had a goal disallowed, uh, which would have been a, a 2-2 um, around about the sort of the late 70th minute. So they do raise their game in Europe um, and sort of yeah, backs up the point that I mentioned earlier about as soon as they get into these European games, I know something just clicks clicks with them that they go, oh yeah, you know, if we're not careful, we are going to lose the league. And actually playing European football is an absolute game changer for these players who, you know, are on bonuses when they do qualify for Europe. So yeah. they have a financial incentive as well as a, a professional incentive as well. Which is sometimes all you need, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Started Group G in the Conference League this year with a 3 to defeat last week at home to PLK um, as Aberdeen fell to Eintracht in Frankfurt. And of course, there was that moment where it flashed up on the big screen in Frankfurt that HDK uh, gone a goal up in that one as well. Um, although what's an interesting footnote on this, and you kind of just touched on it there a little bit as well, Ali, is that certainly home form um, in Europe has been kind of pretty impressive. Um, as you say, kind of narrow defeats across the board there to uh, to Roma, the, the point against Ludogorets as well. But they have failed to win a a, ga- a a game away from home in Europe since beating Maribor in qualifying round three for the Europa League campaign last season. And since then, it's been two draws, six defeats. And when you go back through and you look at the kind of recent history of away travel in particular, perhaps not known for travelling well in Europe, it would be fair to say. Yeah, I mean, it is a bit of a, a problem. As you said, the, the Maribor game, I remember it really clearly. It, it, it was probably the best away performance they've had in the last couple of years. And they've really struggled away from home in Europe this year. I mean, when it when we went to Northern Ireland to play Lan, now Lan aren't, you know, with all due respect, a, a team with massive European pedigree. Um, and that we, we we scraped through. Um, and that was the first first qualifying round um of the Champions League. So yeah, I I think, you know, if if Hoyakal were gonna get out of this group, uh, the home form was gonna be really telling, which kind of makes the um, the Pauk game l- last week sort of a bit of a stinger really because we really needed to take points from that one um, you know at least a point um, to you know get something on the board to have confidence going into the last two games so uh, yeah I, I think the away form is going to be an issue um, uh, I mean you, you guys will know better than I will about Aberdeen's home form in Europe this year and, and, and recently so um uh, I think we're, we're going to go over there with hope rather than expectation. Yeah, I think, um, I guess just to jump back a step really quickly on, in terms of the way the group came out, what was the kind of general perception, would you say, amongst the kind of HK fans around just the group that you ended up with? Because obviously, I imagine you guys probably looked at it in the same way that Aberdeen have looked at the group in that, well, it's a bit of a bummer to get Eintracht on one hand because they are, you know, on a coefficient level, certainly the the, the strongest team in the tournament, uh, obviously Europa League winners in 2022. Uh, Pout did an absolute number on hearts um, in the qualifying round as well. And I guess probably Aberdeen and HK probably looking at each other and kind of going, well, that's our best chance of points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and I think it's funny because on one hand, I mean, maybe I'm not speaking on behalf of all um, Hoya core fans, but I always wanted at least one big team. So I, I, I like it. I, I like these European nights because, you know, they're always a sellout. Uh, sell out crowd I mean it's a sell out of ten thousand so it's not you know huge numbers yeah. but you know it can can create a, a decent atmosphere um so you know you sort of want one big team and then maybe have a hope of grabbing second and you know trying to nick points off you know the Aberdeens and the you know the Palks. So yeah I, I think in my head I'd almost written off uh <laughs> like maybe at least a way to Frankfurt in in my head. Um 
Although they're not the same team as they were that won the Europa League. What was it? Two thousand two. Yeah, twenty twenty two. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, like that. That that was a really strong Frankfurt yeah. team. And yeah, sort of the last this calendar year that they've really started to dip. So yeah, I mean, as you said, coefficiently, they're still the strongest team. <laughs> so uh, it, it's uh, it's definitely going to be tough. I think there was that moment as well because of the way the groups were forming when the draw was being made and Eintracht came out obviously in that and because of the way that I think it was because of the way that um, Rangers had been drawn in the Europa League already it meant we were then at that point we could only be drawn in like one of four groups at that point and I think at that stage Frankfurt came out and there was still like AZ and there was still Aston Villa to come out of pot two and I can't remember who else was who could have gone into our group and I remember just being like oh for fuck's sake like we could just get a horror of a draw here. Um, yeah. In a way, it's actually been quite... I, I quite like the group we've got because it's that thing about, for me as well, kind of similar to what you're saying there, it's great to get a big team in there. It's also great to just go and play other teams who you necessarily wouldn't ever visit and play ever again. And I think it's one of the great things about the Conference League um, setup as well. And, and when we touched to, to, to Basti from the Frankfurt podcast, that's exactly what they were saying as well. The Frankfurt fans didn't almost want to be Europa League from one perspective because yeah. they wanted to be able to go and visit, in their words proper football clubs um yeah. which is why this is great i i really i think this group's a, a, a pretty interesting one from from that side and i think if anything else i think aberdeen have gone and shown the rest of the group the blueprint to go and play frankfurt yeah um, in frankfurt um we were very very unfortunate not get not to get away with a point um last week let's turn back again to the game quickly then um at Potodri next week though because uh, from what i can see and and the data sets for finnish football unfortunately are very very limited that i can get hold of to look at so i'm i'm stabbing in the dark a little bit on it but on the face of it relative free scoring in the league 44 goals scored in 24 games so far so that's an average of just under two a game defensively looking fairly tight as well 21 goals conceded in 24 games so an average of less than one per game that's the second best record in the finnish top flight but from what i can make out and i just said it's it's kind of relatively limited data sets that i can get a look at looks like they're kind of favoring a kind of three four three kind of system um so far this season what do you think the Aberdeen fans can expect to see next thursday in terms of i guess the kind of setup and how do you think they're going to approach the game because like i said earlier on we're probably looking at each other and going there's the best chance for points here yeah yeah i, I think so i mean i you're right about the three four three sometimes it can particularly look more like a back five <laughs> as well depending on the opposition uh it's Hoyako have always sort of set up like that particularly in Europe but they, they they quite like this sort of inverted wing back coming into the center that you know I guess everyone thinks Pep invented but he didn't <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I would imagine you'd have a Bojan Radulovic up front. I think he's on 16, 17 league goals this season. Um, Hoyako over the last few years have really struggled to have a number nine. So they've managed to win the league, qualify for Europe through all these rounds. And last year, our top scorer in the league had eight. Okay. <laughs> so, and, you know, and, and that, you know, wasn't that much worse than the year before. So uh, Bojan Radulovic is a target man. He's a, he's an old school number nine. Um, holds the ball up really well, gets in the box. Um, and then he plays off um, often Toppy Keskinen. He's this young, uh, I think he's about 20 uh, now. He's, he's rapid. Um, so if I was an Aberdeen uh, supporter, I'd be mostly concerned about those two because they, they do play quite well off each other. With a caveat that uh, Toppy Keskinen, um, he's, he got injured a couple of weeks ago came on against um yeah Pauk and uh you could tell he was still carrying something. Mm. Um he did play at the weekend 
So I'm hoping maybe that injury is behind him because when when he's on form uh, and when he's got the ball, like defenders don't want to play against him. I'm quite surprised he hasn't had a call up for the Finnish national team yet um, because of my, you know, still relatively fledging career watching uh, Hoyakor and living in Finland. He's probably been the player that's had the most sort of like raw ability mm. talent and he's really the sort of winger that gets players or gets um, fans off their seats so um yeah I, I would be looking out for Radulovic and, and Keskinen if I was an Aberdeen fan could get quite tasty between Radulovic then and um Aberdeen's new Serbian centre-half Slobodan Rubicic um yeah who, who will play in the centre of the back three I imagine and he's a bit of a no-nonsense um central defender as well so with them both being Serbian I'm sure it could get a little bit interesting in the, in the centre yeah. of the the park there I mean I guess as well how do you think how, how will they approach the game do you think on on Thursday night will they come here looking to try and get the win or will it be a case of well, well try and grab a point on the road and see what happens uh, I, I think if you offer them a point right now, they'll take it. Um, often away from home, what they would try to do is keep it tight first 20, 25 minutes. Um, like like a lot of teams in Europe now, they do like to play out from the back um, and then they only will go long to Radulovic, who is a really good option up um, up front to you know hold the ball up and bring other players in, into the game. Um, so I, I reckon they'd keep it tight first 20, 30. Um, if... Um, uh, Hetemai plays who's this old sort of I think he must be 36 37 now he seems to only play in the European games but he's played in Serie A Serie B for most of his career and even though he's getting on and a, a bit slow technically he's still very good um, and so I reckon you know if they were to get a set piece he could well be on it so yeah I don't think Hoyako are going to uh, come up to or come down I guess still to <laughs> Aberdeen we might be the only team in Europe that might come down to Aberdeen to be honest yeah pretty much yeah <laughs> um so uh yeah I think you know watch out for the set pieces watch out for Toppy Keskinen's pace um if we get a penalty Radulovic I think has scored eight out of nine okay. which is a pretty good um hit record so um yeah and then also in the middle of the park I mean I, I've always liked Lucas Lindman um he's a really good ball player left-footed um but yeah <laughs> going back to your original point if you were to offer me a point uh, and most uh Hoya core fans would definitely take it it'll be interesting to see then how the, how things pan out especially if you guys do stick with the 3-4-3 because Aberdeen so far this season we've kind of stuck with the 3-5-2 we went 5-4-1 in Frankfurt last week um but that does leave us with a solid base of three across the midfield and and that could potentially be an interesting area um to, to watch as well next week but yeah let's let's wait and see what happens um I hate to put people on the spot but I'm gonna do it Ali a prediction for for next Thursday uh, a prediction for next Thursday. Uh, well, the thing is, at the start of the group, I said that HJK would get four points from Pauk and Aberdeen. And, well, I'm already zero points. So <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm going to say it's going to be, you know, we, I'm going to go with my heart, not with my head. Uh, and I'm going to say it's going to be 1-1. There we go. I love it. Great stuff. Ali, no, listen, really appreciate it. You taking the time to, to join us tonight on ABZ FP. And um, like I say, hopefully we can catch up again prior to the return fixture. And um, like I say, maybe we can get some tips from you for from suggestions on things to do in Helsinki. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, I'm more than happy to be a, a, a little guide for anyone that comes over. So um, yeah, just let me know. Great stuff. Appreciate it, Ali.
Take care. Good, mate. Bye-bye. So, boys, as we kind of discussed with Ali, both HJK and Aberdeen probably looked at each other as being the most obvious place for us to both collect points in this group. If we've got any aspirations whatsoever of making our way out of the group, we really need to be kind of picking up three points on Thursday evening, don't we? I think you've got to be picking up points at home against probably everyone, to be fair. And yeah, there's no better place to start than the first game against Helsinki. Um, I Listen, I don't expect anything other than them to prove to be a very decent team. Uh, four, what, four league titles in a row, five out of the last six, 33 league titles in total. Uh, should they win this one, uh, implies that they're you know definitely anything other than anything but mugs. Um, I guess what probably shows you that all the other teams in Finland just need to try harder, as many Celtic fans will will tell <laughs> you, regardless of budgets and all that shit, because that doesn't matter, apparently. Um, but based on the chat you had with Ali, what he's telling us, I think that they might very well you know, play into our hands the way we've been performing against like, the Rangers and Frankfurt especially. So it's going to be tough, no matter, no doubt about it. Like I say, they are the Finnish champions, they're the Finnish champions for a reason. But um, I've got a strange sense of optimism about this game. Uh, yeah, I agree with Gav. It's not going to be easy or a formality, and there probably is, yeah, there probably is that element of both sides looking at each other, thinking that that's our best chance to do something. But we're at home. I'm hoping it will sell out. I think there were two thousand. They said today. Yep. So hopefully we can shift them, get a full house, get a good atmosphere, and hopefully we can put on a performance and, and get the three points. Because, yeah, if we've got any hope of progressing, which would be unreal, or realistically any hope of not being bottom, uh, home games are critical. But I, I feel like uh, Helsinki are your, your best bet of getting points. So, and, you know, just again, to keep this sort of little bit of momentum that we've, uh, that we've now created with the results over the last week or so if we could win that game you know that's going to really ramp up the sort of feel good factor around the club and if you can cap it off with a win in the league that would be a pretty good way to to end up uh, before the international break yeah there was a real sour taste I think in everyone's mouths about the way we performed against Hecken and Apitaudry and I think this would go some way to to making amends on that one I, I would agree with that uh, you, know, you never get away from the fact that you, if spots of babies, could you play in a different competition? You know, it's done now, but let's go out and give a good account of ourselves in this competition. Decent start against Frankfurt, but ultimately, you know, none to show for it, no points on the board. So, yeah, if we full house, let's not, um, let's not let people down. And if we can get the three points, that'd be absolutely massive. It's one of those, isn't it? Because for all the recent years you know of, of our european experience we've not really had a performance at patology other than the heck in 5-1 but even then that was a game played in front of a restricted crowd a bit of an odd atmosphere there we've not had a big european night at patology with a big crowd in where we've you know beaten a team that we should that we that we'd be maybe on level pegging with or it would be a bit unexpected for us to actually win. We've tended to perform well away from home sometimes in these games. Burnley at home maybe maybe an example of a decent performance from that perspective. But it would be great for us to, you know, it's all very well going to Frankfurt and everybody having a great time for three, four days. And don't get me wrong, that was brilliant. And putting in an average performance, we came away with nothing out of it ultimately. It would be great to really chalk up a, a famous night 
uh, the old lady for this generation of fans as well in European football on Thursday night. Yeah, you want European football for Aberdeen should mean something and that should be that we're competitive. Regardless of the level we find ourselves at, you know, is it maybe where you'd want to be? No, you'd want to be higher up the, the food chain, but we're not. It should be more, it should be around being competitive and getting results and give something, you know, for those that not old enough, not been able to go away, that they've got something that they can look back on and enjoy. And ultimately you want that sort of respectability back to the club and the European stage. You've been away in any meaningful format for far too long. So let's, you know, let's just give it a good go this time round. And then hopefully, depending where things go in the league, you might be, you might be getting it again next year. Ultimately as well, as we talked about Ali, though, you know, HGK, I think a lot of people looked at them when they came at the draw and thinking, oh, that's, that's good. That, that's, that's, that's a good draw out of that pot. <clears throat> um, but they're definitely not mugs on the European stage. We just talked about, you know, three group stage um, rounds in succession for them. They performed admirably in that Europa League group last season as well. Um, they were very close to getting a, a point against Roma at home. Um, it's not going to be easy against them on Thursday night, is it? Let's be honest. No, definitely not. Um, like I say, they're the they're the finished champions for a reason. And to be honest, now that you've told me that they beat Maribor in a, in a knockout tie, can I like them? <laughs> no. And anyone that's expecting us to, you know, steamroll over them uh, I think we'll be in for a rude awakening but yeah I think maybe a degree of patience I'll I'll be intrigued to see the way that uh, Barry Robson actually decides to approach this game to be quite honest with you whether we'll go with that approach in Frankfurt or we go on the front foot and try and really take the game to them like we did against Ross County um, because I think the way that Ali spoke about them and the way they play with like wanting to play it from the back but ultimately trying to get the ball direct to to the number nine I do feel that could potentially play to our favor as such. And if we can just nullify their threat and get our, our good players on the ball, I've got no doubt that we can uh, get about these guys. Interestingly, HGK with no game since last Wednesday, they had a 3-0 win over Honka. What can I name? Um, that means they're going to have like a week off. We're about to enter our fifth game in 15 days when we play them. Is that something we need to be a little bit concerned about Gray, I know that this is your like absolute massive pet peeve in life but we've had to travel back from Glasgow so I guess that'll take it out of us that's very true I, I wondered if that sentence was going to finish off with is this a good time to catch them cold <laughs> <laughs> yes the old uh, is it a good time to play them <laughs> as, it turned, as it turned out Saturday was a fucking good time to play Sevco um <laughs> But is it, you know, that, that does give them a, you know, they're going to have seven, eight days off from a game. We, like I say, it is five games in 15 days for us at that point. Um, is that something we should be a bit concerned about? Or have we got enough about us in the squad now? Do you think we can maybe rotate some players out who didn't play very much on Saturday? Um, the likes of Connor Band, the likes of Duke, for example, um, and, and really give a, have, give a good account of ourselves. I'm not having that at this stage of the season. <laughs> Graves is not having that at all. Gav, is it something you're concerned about? Um, Graves looking at me judgmentally. I'm gonna say no, no, not so to be concerned. Correct about. answer. All right, let's move on then from that. Um, predictions then for for Saturday, not Saturday. Predictions then <laughs> for Thursday. <laughs> predictions for Thursday. Thank you very much. Not even playing um, on Saturday. Jesus Christ, fucking hell. Right, predictions for Thursday. A tough, tough game. Close, close, hard fought. Two one victory for Aberdeen. Bojan Miofsky and Richard Jensen. 2-0 Aberdeen. 
my grandma can't just to piss you off. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go three-one Aberdeen, and it's going to be a night to remember is the hope. And then, as we said before, if you can get yourself long, Siberia Belmont Street, half past four kick off. Stem, try and get the atmosphere going. Let's free entry, cheap pints, cheap drinks on the EBZ pod discount. Not on the tab. I hasten to add. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, well, hopefully we'll see a few of you along. Then let's move on from that then to the St. Johnston game next Sunday as well. Really quickly. So the first visit of the Perth Saints to Pataudry this season. St. Johnston come into this game, bottom of the pile. No wins in their opening seven games. Three draws, four defeats to show for their efforts so far. Uh, their last outing was a 1-1 draw at home to Livingston. It's fair to say that they are toiling so far this season under Stephen McLean. Now, he's staunch. He should maybe be in the running for the for the, for the the gig at Ibrox, potentially. I'm glad I was sitting down for the news that Steve McLean has not turned it around. St. No, not, not quite. Uh, they've only scored three goals in their seven league games so far this campaign. And that, Even of course... Even the feature Stevie May? scoring yeah. no wow what the fuck's <laughs> going on here that <laughs> guy still uh, bugs me <laughs> no, never oh, Graham never. come on Graham one of guys favourite players right there probably <laughs> anyway um, of course this, the poor starts the league campaign coming on the back of a horrendous league cup campaign where they were knocked out of the league cup in the group stages where they were beaten by Stenhousemuir Air, and then they took a 4-0 hiding from Dan Young Sterling Albion in the process as well. Um, pretty significant turn of players in the summer, seven players out, 11 coming in. I can't be fucking arse going through the 11 players have come in because you wouldn't know any of them. Top goal scorer in the league is uh, Maxim Kucherevi. He's got two goals. Dara Costello with the other. If you must have made a mistake, I can't see Stevie May's name there. <laughs> well, there's only they've only scored three, and trust me, I was as diligent as I could be when I went back to see who'd scored for them. Um, unsurprisingly, as a, as a team, they're bottoming out on pretty much every metric going. Uh, on average at the moment, of 0.4 goals per game. That's bottom. Uh, and expected goals of just five for the season, which drops to just 2.96 from open play across seven games. Uh, shots on target per match are averaging two. They've had just 38 shots, full stop, over seven games. They've conceded the most shots, 75. Remarkably, Dimitar Mitov, who's their new goalkeeper, they signed from Cambridge United, he actually seems to be quite a good acquisition. He's helping keep things down, it's fair to say, from open play, according to the metrics. Saints should have conceded just over 10 goals so far. He's kept that down to only six from open play so far. He's got a total of 31 saves. That's the most of anyone in the league by quite some distance, it's fair to say as well. Uh, although saying that they do look a bit vulnerable at set plays, they've conceded four goals from set pieces against unexpected goals against a set plays of just 2.4. Um, it's hard to see what they're actually trying to do. They're ranked 10th out of 12 for accurate crosses per match. So they're not trying to get the ball down and get it wide. They're not going overly direct either. They're actually sitting bottom of the league for what you would class as being direct attacks. That's backed up with the fact they're sitting fairly mid-table in the league. In terms of build-up play, uh, territorially, they're giving up a lot of ground to opposition. You'll see it on the graph there. They're not pressing with any intensity either. PPDA, Gav, PPDA. We've not used that this season, I don't think, yet. So, Christ, it's been so long since you've asked me. Um, passes per defensive action? Yes, indeed. So the lower the number, the higher intensity, theoretically, teams press with. Uh, a passes per defensive action average of 13.6 is the lowest, second lowest, sorry, in the league. So they're not pressing with any real sense of intensity. 
McLean's moves, formations around as well, went 3-4-1-2 against Levy last time out. He's played around with a 4-1-4-1 and a 4-4-1-1 at times. He's done that more when they're playing against teams they expect, I think, to dominate them from a possession perspective. Um, they did get a, an admirable 0-0 draw at Parkhead earlier in the campaign um, by sitting in and making themselves stuffy. <laughs> it's fucking St. Johnston. Like, we know what we're going to get. Um on the face of it, though, it, despite the fact we play on Thursday night, this is a must-win game against a team who are currently, as we stand, the worst team in the fucking league by a country mile. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, looking at this, their position in the league and realistic over the course of the season, most teams are going to beat St. Johnston. Uh, we absolutely need to be beating St. Johnston uh, at home. Uh, I don't... Th- so I said, I don't think it would be particularly exciting, but then I didn't think Ross County would be either. And actually that game turned out, you know, once we got the goal and we got the confidence and we started to play some football, I actually quite enjoyed that game. Uh, I think uh, I think it'll be difficult, but there's no excuses. We we have to be winning that game. Um, I think um, for one thing, I'm just going to put this out here now. You know how in January, a team that are utter garbage and can't score goals panic and make that classic Scottish football signing the lone wolf is pitching up in Perth in January and will change fuck all regarding Eamon Brophy you got it I don't think they've got the money I don't think they've got the money oh they'll they'll, no they'll loan him they'll Uh, they'll trade uh, they'll trade Stevie up to up to Ross County Marky McKay won't be able to turn him down Um, as for the game on on Sunday I think when you see we've maybe you know maligned Robson at times for maybe not being as adaptable with formations as we'd like. I think when you've changed formations that much already within one season, that shows a manager who's already just scrambling to find something that works for the group of players that he has. Um, like you say, I mean, seven league games, what is it? Three, three draws and four defeats. That is not, that's not any kind of indication that Steve McLean's changed any of the fortunes at St. Johnston. I was somewhat astonished they didn't go down last year. And I think they're in for a very long, hard season this year. Um, you've mentioned that, this level of turnover. When I look at their team, I just think that there's still a lot of the same old faces there who've been kind of stinking out the joint for the last couple of seasons now. And obviously they'll be without Liam Gordon, who's their captain. I don't think much of Liam Gordon, but he's you know presumably better than the alternative that they have. So they're going to be weak in that position as well. Uh, and when you just look at their defensive characteristics their willingness to give possession away it's got to be one of these games where i think michael Shirt commented on it on sports scene that aberdeen have found a very good system for playing quote unquote better teams than us away from home and being successful the thing is we now have to translate that into games where we're the ones who are expected to dominate and create chances at will it feels to me like this is like the perfect opposition for us to come get our foot on the ball and let our better players just simply show that they are a class of St. Johnston and take the game away from them. On that then, would you like to see us do something different in terms of shape, formation, personnel, whatever? Because presumably we will go 3-5-2 again. Um, but, or we'll go with three at the back anyway. It's not so you necessarily have to play 3-5-2. You could play the, the sort of like 3-4-1-2 or something like that with somebody tucked in a bit closer to Duke and Miofsky as well. But it's a game that we really... It's a must-win game as well from that sort of perspective, isn't it? Because whilst 
the result obviously against Rangers on Saturday is huge, and but which also brings us a slightly interesting piece. I was looking today at the um, the, the corresponding fixtures that we from from this season compared to last, and I think I'm right in saying, I think we're four points up at this moment in time against the corresponding fixtures from last season, which is kind of an interesting way to look at how we're progressing because we've obviously, you know, up until the Hearts game in particular, we were very, very disappointed in terms of the way that um, that, that we were looking at things. But Are you trying to put a positive spin on eight points out of seven games? Is that the attempt here? I actually am, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, because... It's, okay, it's, I'll it's, strap it's, myself in. Also worth noting, our goal difference is significantly healthier than it was in our visits from Edinburgh last season. This is true. Yes, absolutely. But we are, <laughs> but we are at this moment in time. I'm pretty certain for the fixtures we've played so far today, we're we're actually four points up on what we did last season, and we haven't had theoretically the easiest opening seven games that were available to us. Um, Livingston so far have only been beaten by Rangers and Celtic in the league. St. Mirren are obviously going really well at this moment in time. Um, I fully expect that to come to an end at some point, but they are going well, so you can't you can't ignore that. We've played both the Edinburgh sides. Um, admittedly, we were disastrous in both of those games, so let's not talk about them too much. Ross County, we've struggled against them at home in in recent seasons, so a four and a win is a, is a is a positive result there. And we generally don't win at Ibrox, so maybe Baza's you know been right all along, and we're just fucking idiots. Looks like someone at the club's got to you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, is that a Waylon Smithers behind you with a gun (laughs) (laughs) it's just interesting when you look at the numbers and you go well actually you know we're a bit better off than where we were at this point comparably anyway Um, but yeah huge huge game against this this mob on Sunday Um, it feels weird to call it a huge game because a home game against St Johnson is not theoretically a huge game but in terms of just where we're at you hope you come in the game off you you hope you come off the game on Thursday with a positive result yeah. It's all about momentum now for us, isn't it? And you need the points. And like Thursday aside, there's no point in going to Ibrox and winning if you then don't beat St. Johnston at home. Yeah. And it would also lead us into the international break in a really good run of form if we can beat HFK and St. Johnston. Yeah, definitely. Totally agree. And yeah, the international break means there's no excuse to not to be giving it our all in, in St. Johnston. So let's just hope that we can, yeah, go ahead, carry on this momentum and look forward to... Let's hope for like in that mentality of oh Christ, I wish the international break wasn't now, mm-hmm. rather than that's we we're probably thinking last time. Like thank God this has come around this time. Um, carry on the momentum, get ourselves up the table. Yeah, you've, you've, just, you've just if you're going to achieve anything in the league, you've got to beat the worst team at home. That's just as easy as that. Based on that, then quickly, then a prediction for uh, Aberdeen against St Johnston next Sunday. I'm going two 0 Aberdeen. I think it'll be tough, but we've got we've got a better team. Uh, I'm going to say a 3-0 to the dandies, of course. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I'm going to say 3-0 as well to Aberdeen. I think it's going to be quite relatively comfortable. Um, and Steve McLean is going to be um, finding it very, very difficult to remain as St. John's manager for much longer. And I think that'll do us. Three-year contract. Three-year He's contract. going nowhere. Fucking mental. Absolutely mental. Anyway, there we go. Black Deuce. What a show. Yes. Nods all around. Lovely stuff. Um I wish we could beat Rangers Ibrox every week. Oh, fuck, I know. Be great, wouldn't it? Anywho, that's going to wrap us up for this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow, whatever you might do on your podcast 
player of choice join us next time for episode 128 of the show we'll look back at the HJK game we'll look a bit at the St. Johnson game as we head into that next international break of the campaign and we'll be joined by Michael Grant who is going to talk to us about his favourite game and a whole bunch of other stuff as well look forward to seeing you then stand free one more time we'll see y'all at Siberia on Thursday Gary's buying the pints Gary's not buying the pints This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds!